Off the ball. And Munster are failing at that detail. It's not the big picture that's killing them. It's it's the minutia, the detail that's taking them apart. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Whatever you grow, we'll save a bro. Right, half past seven, Monday morning. Nathan is with us. Nathan, good morning to you. Good morning, Chair. Let's get straight into it. Uh, well, a fairly busy, storied, interesting, varied weekend uh, on many fronts. Do we start with the start of the? Do we start with the bad story in the front of the Daily Star this morning? Holy Jesus! Man grabs GA kid nine in brackets by throat. Shocked mum sees attacker walk onto pitch. So this is like I'd say you were at an under nine game over the weekend. I was at, I was at four kids games over yeah. the weekend, and uh, thankfully we all managed to get through them. Uh, despite frustrations at times uh, with you know maybe your own players and the opposition players, uh, everyone managed to get through it by accepting that we're watching an under nine game. Yeah, anybody and, uh, grabbed moved on with life, and everyone uh, gave a little fist pump at the end and applauded each other and moved on with our lives. They um, they click sticks in the in the hurling or the camogie. Um, the star has established the man is alleged to have grabbed the defensive kid by the throat during a hurling blitz in Tipperary on Saturday afternoon. Afternoon. It's not like you've been, you know, uh, anyway, not like you've been drinking all day. It's uh, it's like you haven't had time. Uh, Guardia Thurlis were alerted shortly after 1pm on Saturday the 15th of October following an incident of alleged assault at a sports event in Thurless. This is a Garda spokesman. Inquiries are ongoing. As the incident involves young persons, on Garda Shikona will not be commenting further at this time. However, sources uh, speaking to Michael O'Toole, our crime correspondent, says the alleged victim did not require any medical treatment following the incident and nobody's been arrested as of late last night. The blitz was organised by the Munster GEA and a spokesman for that organisation confirmed it was aware of the incident and was carrying out its own investigation. What the hell is going on? Uh, this is insanity. I, I just can't even imagine the situation, and I can't imagine being well, in a position that the children's parents are in well, or what the happens? mentors. Yeah, how, how, how does you know? How, how does the how do you, like? Well, I think yeah, it's every, the last thing in your mind, right? Everybody wants to de-escalate the situation, but how does somebody get away with it? Like, what do you just walk away? What are you doing? You know, unless you're there, it's hard to know exactly how it plays out. Firstly, if if a adult walks onto a pitch of a kids game, you assume that somebody's injured or they're going to fix a helmet or uh, they're there to help. You don't assume that they're going to assault the child, and then that they somehow it seems walk off the pitch. Now we don't know all the details, and they present themselves uh, to the guards that evening. Yeah, I, this is like beyond disgraceful and you know we've spoken a lot about abusive referees and we've spoken a lot about uh, people encroaching on pitches uh, over recent weeks and recent months and recent years and it feels like we've been talking about it forever but this brings it to a whole new level like firstly you have to hope that the nine-year-old kid uh, is okay and isn't overly traumatized by this you know like no no medical attention required but like uh, an adult comes and grabs you by the neck uh, who isn't who you know like while you're playing sport and having crack like, it's horrific, really. It is absolutely horrific. And it just, it comes off the back of last week's, you know, respect campaign. And it's, I don't know, I, I don't know what to do in a situation like this. Like, it, but it, what do you do? Like, so it's with the guards now. So you have to hope that action will be taken there. But well, what, what happens to the club? Lifetime ban. So like a lifetime the, ban, but... Does the club get thrown out and then are you punishing all the other that's, kids? That's the other, that, isn't that always the argument that's put forward, that this is one individual who well, has maybe taken take this them, step? Maybe you take them out of, like, you, you take them out of competition. You know, the, the punishment is so severe that for this year, your team is allowed to play all the league games, but you're not allowed to play championship. Underage. No one in the club is playing championship underage this year. 
tough luck, right? Police it properly. Take it seriously. You can't do that. You can't. You can't be blaming all the rest of the lads for it. It's like, well, okay, Grant. Let's let's continue with the same scenario. It's the same situation where referees are getting chased, followed, uh, escaping from matches and boots of cars. Now you have grown men, and it is a man coming on to a child's game, grabbing the child by the throat. But you can't. You know, you can't can't hold the club responsible. Who else is going to be responsible? Well, you're right. And zero tolerance is the only way to go with this. And then you have a ripple effect where around the country it's made very clear that if anybody misbehaves, that your entire club will suffer the consequences or that team will suffer the consequences, as happens if it's a player. If a player is playing a match and they get sent off, you often cost your team a game. You cost them a championship. That's the punishment. Nobody goes, ah, well, it's a little bit unfair in a game of this importance. We'll just leave them on the pitch. Bring somebody else on. So very quickly... It would get around the country, and I'd imagine you would have a lot of meetings at the start of the year saying, you are on the sideline, as a supporter, you are representing this club. And if you do anything that brings the name of this club into disrepute, we're all going to suffer. We're all going to be thrown out of this competition. We're all going to be banned from playing matches. So maybe, maybe that gets into people's heads. But listen, this is an under nine blitz. It's a bit of crack. there's thousands of these happening every single week. There should be no real emotion or anger involved from anybody in it. It's not a senior championship game where people can get a little bit worked up. Like, it's there to help them to learn. Uh, yeah, people can get a bit frustrated at times. Yeah, it can be a bad challenge at times. But they're kids. Like, they're, you know, you have a word with them. If it's uh, particularly bad, maybe their mentor takes them off the pitch and, you know, they need to be taught a bit of a lesson and say that's unacceptable. But for somebody to walk on to a pitch and do this is... yeah. It's beyond belief. It is. It when is. I read this yesterday, I was like, how? How does this happen? It is beyond belief. It's uh, 7.36 this morning. You're watching OTB AM. We're brought to you by Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. Performance rankings are imminent. Mike Carlson's going to look back on uh, last night's NFL, where it turns out uh, the Buffalo Bills got a bit of revenge on the Chiefs. Samuel Luckhurst is going to talk to us about Man United. We've got sports pages for you, rounding up all of GAA action. Um, yeah, big, big win in Dublin. Big, big win in Kilkenny. Um, some of the superpowers got toppled around the rest of the country as well. Alan Quinn is going to join us in studio. Once we're back, baby. And then Paul Galvin's going to join us in studio this morning as well as we talk about his new book. But at 7.37, time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. The performances were just lacked that intensity. Uh, usual caveat before this uh, starts, I don't agree with everything that Nathan says. That's all. Just getting that out there. Uh, usual caveat, Colin forces me to put some of these things in there. So just, you know, <laughs> talk about them at some stage. <laughs> well, listen, if we're all throwing each other under the bus on a Monday morning... Why should I stop? Uh, all right, let's start in the red. Uh, Connacht rugby very harsh, and Connacht who put up a brave display against Leinster on Friday night, uh, beaten ten nil. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hone in on the zero. Uh, another night, Connacht probably would have kicked a few penalties, but were going for corners, going for territory, trying to get themselves a try to really give themselves an opportunity to win the game, and nothing quite worked out. It, it wasn't that dissimilar to the week before against Munster, where like they won the game, but they should have absolutely taken Munster to town and missed an awful lot of chances. And they just weren't particularly convincing any time they went into the Leinster half. It did feel a little bit at times like it was men against boys, that 
you knew all of Leinster's experience would count and that Connacht would make a mistake. And time and time again, just when Connacht were inside the 22, the ball was turned over. Leinster were able to produce a big play at the right time. Yeah, get like, out of danger. there's one specific break that leads to the last penalty that takes Connacht out of losing bonus point territory, and uh, there, there's a like a bit of an incident at the ruck. Josh van der Fleer makes sixty yards, mm. and then the penalty gets conceded, and the penalty gets kicked, and it's like ball game at that stage. Like at that stage, that like they were at a, they had an attacking platform, and they all kind of stopped thinking, well, we're going to get a penalty here, and they didn't get the penalty, and. Uh, you know that's that's a massive shift in the result of the game. So it's a bit of a sliding doors moment. Now the better team won. They have better players. They have a much much bigger budget. I think Connacht losing by ten points to Leinster. It's not really uh, the worst performance they're ever going to have. Like no, they, they had enough to keep them in the game. They just didn't have enough to win it. So in the first half, actually, when when Leinster were playing very well, like Connacht were very resilient. They got a couple of really important turnovers. Uh, from a couple of lineouts, you know, defended valiantly on their own line. It was just when they went up the other end and they needed that extra bit of quality or a bit of composure they were lacking. But maybe that's every team when you go up against this Leinster side. It's not like playing anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully Leinster's performance is a harbinger of um, them clicking into that level of gear. Because like the previous week, they put up, what, 45 points against a good quality South African side at home. So, um, you know. I'm not throwing Connacht under the bus here, but I can see why they would be in the red. I'm sure they're very disappointed about it. Um, it's one win in one win now in five. What's notable is that Munster are not in the red. We will get to them a little bit later, and we'll do yeah. plenty of, of uh, celebration, I suspect, from Alan Quinlan about or relief more than celebration. I think about the quality of the performance they put in and, and where the quality was coming from. It was the kids, and it was like right. Whew. Woo. Okay, but we should also mention Ulster going to South Africa and winning, and uh, Mike Larry, he's very good. It's like it's just going to be one of those careers that is on the fringe of being incredibly important for Ireland, but maybe not getting the opportunities, or or he's going to make it all the way. And if he does, then we're going to be very exciting to watch for the next five, six, seven years. Yeah, you could be in the position where. You know, Hugo Keenan does a Rob Carney and gets another six, seven years at full back, and nobody ever gets an opportunity. I, I, is the jury still out, Luster? It feels like it's not, but then we're still two months away from Champions Cup. Like, they need to be getting yeah. consistently to Champions Cup semi finals, finals. Yeah, look, and, um, you know, they've, their big money signing isn't coming until after the World Cup. And you're like, wow, that's great, the World Cup's imminent. And it's like, it's not really imminent. Like, uh, rugby transfers are a dangerous business, aren't they? Um, like, with the amount of injuries, signing somebody and saying, yeah. see you in a year's time, pal. Yeah, yeah. After yeah. you play the most attritional tournament there could be. Yeah. yeah. We'll come here fresh and ready. Yeah. For a lot of money. I mean, look. Um, yeah, I like. I think it's a big opportunity for them this season. Like they, largely, most of their players are coming back to fitness. I mean, obviously, you really hope that Stockdale. Uh, the, I haven't seen the diagnosis and the latest ankle injury, but how bad it's going to be. And you'd always always have concerns about Henderson's injury profile. But if you know, if by and large they can have a, a season where their best players aren't out for five, six, seven months and are actually playing together a bit, um, they've got an incredibly exciting backline. That's the thing that I think is going to make sure that um, Ravenhill's full every Friday night. They got La Rochelle in the Champions Cup. It'll be a good game, you know. Happy to see. It'll be interesting. Right, that's that's the first one in red. What else? Sorry, Jer. I, I think you probably agree with this one. Do you? Aston Villa. Back in the red, though Steven Gerrard said it was an outstanding performance. Well, against Chelsea, yesterday. it was it was a much better performance, right? Like they were they were unlucky in that uh, very good chances 
were missed and they had a goal match scramble almost as good as the Republic of Ireland women's team against Scotland where you're like go it's going to be goal no, it, it, it's coming now no it's going to happen now oh Jesus not happen uh, look Chelsea weren't very good Villa were better than I expected them to be I wouldn't have been terribly surprised if it had finished one all it probably would have been a fair result I think the XG was definitely in Villa's favour um, oh well then Give them the points now. Well, Nathan, this, when you're reduced to the XG to defend your team, I'm not. I I I don't want Steven Gerrard as the manager long term. I'm not actually here to. I come to Barry season not to praise him, but I think that like uh, credit where it's due, it was a better performance than I expected. I I actually expected them to get rolled over three nil and not create any chances, but they did create chances and they did seem to have like he dropped Coutinho. You know, fair enough. Looked like he was having difficulty doing that on a consistent basis that whenever he kind of needed something or felt like he needed the big moments in the game and the way he talks about it is always big moments oh I need big moments for my big players like actually you don't you need a style of play and a philosophy and a belief system and you need to create chances you need to have an idea about how those chances are going to be created like Tyrone Mings makes a mistake for the first one and then the second one they're blaming Emmy Martinez but like it is one of those ones where the ball moves in the middle of the, of the oh, air it's a cracking like, free kick so you know cracking job uh, I actually don't think this is the worst it's been for Villa and the atmosphere wasn't as toxic as it might have been I think because they created chances well they created a lot of chances like Chelsea had to make a double substitution at the break because they were getting cut open so often and maybe it's a different game if Chilwell gets sent off like it was a really really bad tackle on Ramsey in the first half like you need those sort of decisions to go in your favour when you're playing a team of Chelsea's quality so yeah they created chances but what is it one win in seven now they need to turn this around quickly. And a lot of these clubs, I'm sure, you know, probably the likes of Southampton as well, are wondering, do we go before the international break? And then you give that manager a month on the training ground where you know, a lot of the players will be there, the vast majority of players will be there. Or do you hope that they can somehow turn around over the winter break and I don't come know. back in December fully I, refreshed? You get rid of them if you've got a much better option. That's the, like, it can't just be knee-jerk. Okay, who's available now? They have to have a plan in place to go, okay... We have agreed backroom team, we have agreed costs, we have agreed transfer strategy with the next manager, whoever that might be. Or there's like a world-class young coach, the next Graham Potter is out there somewhere and they're like, okay, we have our eyes on this guy. You would expect Christian Perzo has been around football for a long time to know who the best young coaches in world football are and also who the superpower managers are who might be like, yeah, I'm I'm interested in this project, but I want full control over this or this is going to be the person who... um, uh, scouts and recruits for me. Well, yeah. the next three games will surely say a lot. They've got Fulham away on Thursday night. They play Brentford at home next Sunday. And then they've got Newcastle away before they take on Manchester United. Like, those Fulham games, that game against Fulham and Brentford, like, you need four points from them. Yeah. You do. And, uh, you know. Uh, Tennis Tank says, good thinking, fellas. There should be zero tolerance. This is uh, about... I mean, really, you know, um, people going onto the sideline should be in the performance rankings, but it's kind of too serious in a way for us. Uh, maybe even I don't know. Um, the big I news, say, Jared, at least some people go onto the sideline. They'll just sit in their car watching, you know, their kids out there suffering in the rain. Well, as I said, there's no point in us all uh, being miserable. Wow. Is there? <laughs> uh, the big news of the weekend: Diego Maradarty is back. Says Briar. I was. A, he, he should be in the green. Did you see the hug? It was one of those uncomfortable hugs where. Antonio Conte wrapped the arms around him then sort of shook the head in a passive-aggressive way. But you're my boy. You're my boy, Matt. I told you you could do this. How, how long will he be his boy? Is there two more games left? Uh, one more game one left. One more game left. One more game left. It was, like, he was very good. Um, but Emerson Royal does seem to be his favourite son in that right-back position. Came straight back in the Champions League. Uh, but there's a lot of games. They're playing 
Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, constantly yeah. between now. So. Yeah, I, I, I like it. Change the team up. Fresh legs, fresh energy. Uh, Jack2022 says, TJ Reid in the green consistently delivers club and county Ballyhale five in a row. I know club not as popular, but deserves mention. Paul Murphy for East Kerry was unreal. I did see Owen Sheehan had the, um, the laptop up in uh, Mexico watching the... In the end, it was a bit of a damn squib. Um, uh, it was interesting, though, Eddie Brennan was tweeting that the debate is over. TJ Reid is the greatest of all time. It's like, well, that was interesting. The, uh, the next Kilkenny reunion will be interesting. Yeah. Sheffield's like, huh? What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Henry was uh, in the dressing room before on Friday as well, um, talking to the Ballyhale players. Obviously a very emotional occasion for Ballyhale as well, uh, five in a row. So, TJ, uh, we'll, uh, like, uh, we'll have to do the ultimate rundown. We, we need uh, different criteria to decide. Is it just between TJ and Henry? Like, if it is, it's a bit insane. Well, the two greatest hurlers of all time come from the same tiny little village. Well, uh, d- you know, DJ was on the... D- DJ's... Uh, good point. Neither uh, neither TJ or Henry made the Kilkenny Mount Rushmore. Uh, maybe that needs revisited. Maybe that we could go back to that one. Uh, Aina Carroll says, the A-team on this morning. Surely Shane Walsh in the green. Booed every time he got the ball. Man of the match. Medal in the pocket. Vindicated. <laughs> I saw somebody referring to him as a Terry Butcher style headdress, and I was like, "I wonder does that does that reference land with a lot of people?" I uh, I brought this up in commentary last week. Um, Jordan Ayew ended up with. I said I mentioned this to Brian Kerr. We need a more modern uh, comparison because the automatic reaction for everybody of our age is Terry Butcher style. Yeah. But who is who is the modern version? So somebody who's twenty five who has never heard of Terry Butcher. Yeah. Did any did any of that ever have a bandage covered in blood in a match? That's who we're talking about. Uh, go on. Next. Uh, in the amber, the Connacht Football Championship. In fact, just the GEA Championships. I was out uh, after, uh, you know, standing on the sideline in a polite manner on Saturday morning. I got in my car on Saturday afternoon, uh, flicking through the stations, ad break on News Talk, so just flicking through to see what's happening. The next thing I hear, Mayo will play Ross. What, 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 Mayo will play Ross Common in what now? In what now? Is this the, the talking about the league? The fixtures out for the league. Oh no! It turns out the draws for the GEA Championships were on on Saturday afternoon. That's next summer's GEA Championship. Well, next spring's GEA Championship. And yes, uh, the Connacht football draw is, I would say, the most interesting one of all. Where on the one side you have Galway, Mayo, and Ross Common, and then on the other side you got everybody else. Uh, the last time this happened, London got to the final. Back in 2013. All oh, right, and what, what would what would that happen? What would that? Why does this matter, Nathan? Well, it matters more than ever because it means that one of London, New York, Leitrim, or Sligo are going to play in the All Ireland series next year. So, as we know, the top 16. Well, that makes sense. That uh, one of the Division Four teams could end up being ranked higher than a Division Two team. Oh, oh, but that, that was the whole problem with Proposal B. They shot it down on the basis that something like this might happen. And lo and behold, oh, it happened with your shitty system. Well, well that done, is lads. exactly... Well a, you killed something much better, and now you've got something completely rubbish. But that anyway. is exactly what will happen. Uh, the two teams that start this season in Division 2 but are relegated are not going to be in the top 16. Uh, now, they knew that anyways. But it does mean that there are potentially teams higher up the rankings in Division 2 who may not be guaranteed a place in the All-Ireland series next year. The reason for this, so Talchin Cup winners automatically get in, which means Westmead are in. 
uh, with me, the Division 3 team, and one of those teams in Connacht because all the provincial finalists get into the All-Ireland series. Now, the ideal scenario for this, and we spoke about this even with Westmead last year, is that a team in Division 3 has a really good league campaign. They win all their games, they win Division 3, they've a good provincial championship, they've got a load of momentum and they're going into the All-Ireland series and they get a real opportunity to test themselves against better opposition. Probably not going to qualify, but get an opportunity to test themselves against Dublin or Kerry or Tyrone and see what it's like against the Division 1 teams and progress. It's not set up for this scenario and we don't know what Leitrim and Sligo will do. Both of them have a lot of ambition, uh, but but they would both really benefit from the Talton Cup and the groups in the Talton Cup next year. Now what's going to happen is that whoever comes through on that draw are going to be massive double-digit point underdogs against Division 1 teams. And, and it's, going to, it's going to make the draw somewhat lopsided because they're going to be second seeds in the draw for the round-robin series uh, because they're the beaten provincial finalists. But you could have a scenario where one of these Connacht teams doesn't have a particularly good league campaign, you know, stays in Division 4, uh, they win their semi-final... They take an almighty beating in the Connick final and then they have to go out again with no momentum at all into an All-Ireland series. So it, it doesn't make any sense. Like there's, there is a slight possibility that you know, Mayo, Galway, Roscommon uh, end up being relegated from Division 1 and more teams from Division 3 or Division 4 get to provincial finals and they don't find their way into an All-Ireland series. It's highly, highly unlikely because, again, there's still 14 places up for grabs there. I think they'll all be fine. Uh, but does it change the way they look at the championship now that they're not going to be top seeds? Remember, what, these seeds are probably going to be fourth seeds now, so you're definitely going to have a group of death, it feels, uh, automatically, which is maybe no bad thing. And I think most people, and Sean Cavanaugh, was, uh, he was great on the draw, actually, because he just constantly kept saying, this is basically all a lot of nonsense. Like, why, why, is this being, <laughs> why is this being allowed to happen? The Munster draw happened. He's like, who cares? Like, really? Uh, it was uh, Limerick and Kerry were seated, but Cork and Kerry are on opposite sides of the draw. So if it goes... Sandy. Yeah. <clears throat> and Cork uh, have to play Clare, so it's the, it's the teams at the bottom of Division 2 who are going to struggle to qualify for... Well, it also means that a, the team that wins Division 3, if it's not Westmead, uh, won't get through now to an All-Ireland series. So, you know, you don't get to build that momentum. So, listen, it's too early to be uh, having this draw. Anyways, right. like if, you're, yeah. if, you're in Kil- if you're Kildare... Well, it, it's too early. They've had it now so that no one is paying any attention to it, so nobody realises what's happened. Well, you should, you should pay attention because Kildare might be one of those counties under a bit of pressure here. You know, They're on the same side of the draw as Dublin in the Leinster Championship. They're in Division 2 as well, so they're one of those teams who could potentially lose out. So now actually their league is the single most important thing for them next season as opposed to the Championship being. So it has all this massive unintended consequences where you know we're going to have um, the, the dubs on the road to Carrick and Shannon and it'll be a great occasion and it'll be you know not actually a real opportunity for Leitrim to measure their progress against teams of a similar standard. Whereas actually last year we saw teams of a similar standard they had great games. But what, what anyway, if you look... That's because the provincial championships, just in case anybody is, is uncertain, the provincial councils clung to their power like limpets. And as a result, we now have the, these provincial championships being of more importance and more significance than next season's championship. Uh, the next season's... Ah, look at you, you know what I'm talking about. But, but the provincial champ, like in Connacht, they might be delighted. They've got Mayo against Roscommon, first day out... Kevin McStay Derby, imagine the hype and the buzz. The winners of that play Galway in a semi-final. Another massive crowd. And then you've got a kind of final where you're always going to get a big crowd. So, are you? Maybe you will. I'm sure they, they, they don't care what happens after that, do they? 
On we roll. 7.53 this morning. Right, uh, we need greens. Uh, first up in the green, Shelburne. Into the FAI Cup final for the first time in 11 years. Haven't won the Cup since the year 2000, since the turn of the century. But Duffer has brought them back to the big time. Uh, obviously, the performance and the result is important. But I think it was Duffer's post-match interview yesterday. That's, uh, it's not all about him. Have we got Duffer's post-match interview? Let's listen to what Duffer had to say after the game. Uh, listen, I'll have to change my mindset because all I've said all along was get to the final, get to the final. I never addressed whether winning the final. So the guys, the staff, myself alone, will have to, to change that mindset. Yeah, we're in it to win it now. Um, but listen, we've won. We shouldn't be here. Little old shells, as people call us. Everyone hates us, I think. Uh, we're in the division for another year. And we're, uh, we're in a final. Hey, it doesn't get any better. Well done. Thanks, Tony. There you go. Ah, uh, little old shells. Everyone hates us. Uh, I think. I think. Uh, I think you're wrong, Damien. Does anybody hate shells? Aside from, you know, maybe Bulls fans or Pats fans. Does anybody really hate shells? No, they don't. I think actually shells, uh, for your neutral fan now, with Duffer there, oh, people, yeah. want, people yeah. want them to do well. But he's obviously trying to build some sort of a siege mentality. It is straight out of the Jose Mourinho playbook. Like, he, he learned a lot from Jose Mourinho. He is controlling the post-match talking points constantly. Uh, he knows exactly that everything he says will be picked up and he's trying to get into his players. Nobody likes us. We're not going out in the, we're not going out in the FAI Cup final and, you know, 31 counties, 31 places. Well, Derry will this. be strong favourites for the final. Derry will be strong favourites. Like, it's a huge, huge achievement for Shells to get back in. Like, he, he was playing down expectations at the start of the season. Like, you know, they were just promoted, uh, but they've survived comfortably. A couple of better results over the last few weeks and maybe they could have started looking up a little bit more in, in the league table and push for a position in the top five. They've had some big, big results as well. They've had like in one off games they've proven that they're actually capable of beating the best team. Well, exactly, and they should have beaten they should have beaten Shamrock Rovers, you know, last week out in Tala, uh, you know, beaten by a last minute goal. But now they're in a cup final, uh, you know, Damien Duff said that was the aim to get to a cup final. Now they need to go and win it. I think it's a good cup final, you know, in terms of getting a big crowd. Uh, Derry have a massive support. I think anybody with any interest in shells will go there. I'd imagine a lot of neutrals will want to see uh, what it's like. You know, it was always probably going to be this way once the draw was made, where you had shells and Derry on opposite sides, and you know Derry just got over the line against Treaty. Shells made hard enough work of it uh, against uh, Waterford yesterday. But yeah, like Duffer. He, he's all in on this as he and keeps box saying office, yeah. he is all in on this it's, it's like it's clearly something exactly and he's he's obviously uh, I think was somebody saying he's not sleeping very well at the moment like I really hope he sticks around for into the medium term like three five years of Duffer in the league would really help transform what people think of it and as a career path and like you know he doesn't he's not doing it for the money he's doing it because he loves football and giving back in a way that it'd be great to see loads of his contemporaries give back to the league and say yeah this is a great place for me to uh, earn my stripes and to you know uh, pay it forward so uh, he's been he's been very successful at it right Arsenal in the green also in the green Liverpool yeah Liverpool and Arsenal um, we don't usually have two teams in there but uh, yeah well, Arsenal are top of the Premier League uh, Manchester City were beaten yesterday so uh, so neither are looking a bit comfortable at the top it's, I said it before such a shame Arsenal-Manchester City should have been on on Wednesday night. Uh, but because of the Queen, we don't get that game and it's been pushed right back because it would have been a real opportunity for Arsenal to put some daylight between themselves and Manchester City. Uh, Liverpool are back. Their best performance of the season by 
an absolute mile. It felt from pretty much the first minute as though this was the Liverpool of of old, of you know, six months ago, <laughs> yeah. three months ago. Uh, like there was not giving away a goal in the first minute. Turns out that's good for you. Well, exactly. There was a real intensity to everything that they did. Uh, it was the front four pressing right up in Manchester City, not giving them any time in the ball, uh, you know, blocking the supply lines to Haaland. Gomez and Van Dijk were exceptional. Gomez got man of the match, but Van Dijk, I thought, was the best player on the pitch by a mile. The fact that his range of passing, which we haven't seen as often as you don't get the two fullbacks involved as much as they did, but because they had to sit so deep to make sure that there was no space for Haaland, they were so reliant on Van Dijk being able to pick out those 70, 80-yard crossfield balls to James Milner, right back. Uh, who didn't really put a foot wrong either. And it, it did feel like watching Liverpool at their very, very best again, which you know, raises questions as to, is it a mentality thing? That can, they get, can they get back up again against West Ham on Wednesday night? Like, they have to, because that was, it, it, that was the genius of Liverpool over the last five years, is that they somehow managed to turn up with that intensity all the time, but week lo- in, week out. Losing the Champions League final, there, it's a, like strong possibility. It gives you a hangover. Like it's a very natural human thing. I was like, oh my god, look how far we went. We went, to, we went to the last game of the season in all the competitions, and we ended up really with nothing important to show for it. I can, I can see how, in the middle of the team, there's just this kind of broken heart that needs some time to heal. Possibly. Now, you know, football moves fast. You don't really get time to heal. And but maybe we didn't think of maybe that. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the season gone. Maybe it's not. Maybe this kick starts them and we know they're that... They're still Liverpool, in the Champions League. We know, well, they still have Champions League and we know that Liverpool can go on a run. Like, they've done it consistently. And like, it was actually just brilliant to watch that game yesterday because these matches have elevated the Premier League to a whole new level over the past four or five years. And it felt as though this might be the one where it starts to fall apart. But it was every bit as good and intense as any of them that we've seen over the last few years, almost all the big names stepped up. Like Salah's goal, when you watch the angle from behind, that how he manages to take that down while spinning away having had a from miss. Joao Cancelo, having had that miss earlier on, like yeah. that was an insane, insane sort of ten-minute spell. Give me ten seconds on Arsenal here before uh, the Arsenal, because the Arsenal fans have already got the comments written. So. Uh, they uh, were fortunate, it turned out. VAR, I don't know if you saw this, where the game was delayed for 40 minutes and everyone's like, just get on with the game. It doesn't matter about VAR, uh, which I would agree with. Like, if the VAR doesn't work and there's a power failure and the referee, like, you know, just get on with the game and, and do it. Uh, thank Christ for Arsenal, they managed to get the VAR working. Uh, so, Patrick Pamford misses a penalty. Uh, apparently, the uh, leads were very good in the second half. And then right in the end, uh, deep into injury time, uh, Gabriel gets sent off, gives away a penalty. VAR, it was a far skill decision. Patrick, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Gabriel is sort of standing there and Patrick Bamford comes up and like rams himself into him uh, sends Gabriel flying as he's on the ground falling backwards his sort of foot goes up towards Patrick Bamford who throws himself to the ground in agony uh, straight red card for Gabriel uh, penalty for Leeds and then VAR intervening thought actually Gabriel doesn't touch him here and yeah. Patrick Bamford is the one who was at fault so listen there's a, not, there's a big VAR big opportunity green, is what I hear VAR is the but green but there's a big 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 opportunity here for Arsenal is that I think you know they are really quality side and there are flaws in this Manchester City team okay yeah, that's this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette right Mike Carlson is with us to talk NFL Mike good morning to you how are you uh, good morning Jared. I'm fine how are you yeah good so the, the people will remember last season that the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs played out one of the highest scoring and if you like scoring and high quality offensive play one of the greatest games of all time 
the um, revenge match was last night and uh, the Buffalo Bills got a measure of revenge for what happened last year. Are they now the greatest show on turf at the moment? I don't, I don't think you can really put it that way. I'm not sure there is a greatest show on turf. You know, you go back to Thursday night, include that. Here's the halftime scores. 3-3-10-3-10-7-10-9-10-6-14-13-9-3-10-7-10-10-21-14-20-14. There isn't a lot of great show on turf going on this season, to be honest. Um, and if you remember last year too, in the, in the, in the um, match last year that this, that was basically the, the same as this one in week five, Buffalo won that in Kansas City, too. So they, they kind of proved that. I think what we're seeing is that Buffalo is probably the best balanced team in the league, which is something you said last year as well. Um, and they managed to contrive to lose that playoff game that you were talking about to the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, even without Tyreek Hill, are still very explosive, but they're not the most explosive team. Um, they're finding ways now to to replace Hill. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a long catch, which was important, and Juju Smith-Schuster, or J2-S2, um, you know, made some plays for them as well. But basically, Buffalo is so well-balanced and so hard to beat if you're depending on explosive plays. And this is kind of the story of the league this year. Everybody's been talking about two deep covers. In other words, two safeties who play relatively deep, keep everything in front of them. And what they don't talk about is that there are very few quarterbacks who can consistently beat that kind of coverage because the way to beat it is you have to work up the field Gradually, they're going to give you the underneath. They're just not going to let you have the over the top big chunk play. So you have to be able to consistently move the ball forward. And there aren't that many good quarterbacks in the league right now who can do that. You know, there's, there's, there's probably four great quarterbacks in the league right now because the two greats who are still playing. Brady and Rodgers are looking very ordinary these days. Well, let's talk about Tom Brady, right? So it was an an interesting week. Um, Took the day off midweek to go to a wedding. It was Robert Kraft's wedding, so you know you can might say he kind of probably has, <laughs> probably probably has to show up, right? There's like yeah, a, if it was if it was Dan Snyder's wedding, <laughs> no way. Yeah, uh, but then there's, the footage has gone viral of him absolutely screaming at the offensive line. Now I I think you know, I'm, I'm actually watching Man in the Arena uh, for my sins. It's um, I'm not sure I'm allowed to use the words to describe it, but it's um, you know it's a self self self-made self-publicizing thing and he's got great guests and great footage and it's it definitely if you're into your self-help in the Tom Brady cult it's really worth watching great stories but um, he, he screams at everybody all the time that's his that's his shtick it's just that it's gone viral this week I did feel if there was just a little bit of Tom is like got a lot going on in his life at the moment didn't show up for training midweek and then the, the lads in front of him who were supposed to protect him they're not doing great and they must be looking at him going uh, look mate you know <laughs> where are you I wouldn't be surprised if there was an element of that. Of course, you know, you cut Brady a lot of slack because he's won seven Super Bowls and, um, you know, and he is at that grumpy old man age as well. But and, you know, what you have to ask yourself is, is Tom not making the mistakes and it's all our fault or are we all making mistakes and and we've got to put this all put this all together, I think, if you're a lineman and um you know, in in fairness, he's got to have time right now. Um, and 
they they just don't seem to be able to um to generate enough offense consistently to to put teams away early and their defense while it's while it's very good um isn't right now the kind of defense that's putting pressure on teams and forcing them to make mistakes. The idea that they could, you know, I'm not surprised they only got 18 against Pittsburgh. There's a couple of mistakes. They would have got more. I'm, I was actually surprised that they gave up 20 to Pittsburgh. Um, and I think, you know, in, in my mind, that's where, that's where the game was lost. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be very curious to see what happened if he did show up and practice on Wednesday with teams. Cause we were we were talking about this when um, Thompson got the start for Miami, even though um, Teddy Bridgewater was cleared in concussion protocol, and actually later on Tua was cleared as well. But but the idea with Teddy at least was that the guy who's practiced in the week is the guy who's prepared for the game, and you know, and obviously everyone would say, well, that doesn't apply to Brady because he doesn't need so much time. But I think maybe physically you just need to be out there, you know, and, and getting in the rhythm and getting the timing right with everybody. Yeah, and plus he's 45. Like, I don't know what our expectations are. You know, it's it's been a freak that he managed to still be really good last season, the year after he won the Super Bowl. The fact that he might still be really good as well at 45 would be, <laughs> you know, unhero- un- like it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And what would make sense is that this is the end. Um, what might also make sense is this, this might be the end of Aaron Rodgers too his form yeah what's his what's his excuse he's only like 41 <laughs> the ayahuasca didn't work the um, yeah I mean that's the third game in a row where Rodgers has, has not looked great um, in L- London being the second one they won the game against the Patriots which they were really lucky to win against a team that was playing a rookie third string quarterback Um against them but he's Matt LaFleur I think has been out coached three weeks in a row and and this the same thing happened to an extent that happened in London when when they went down and you need to come out and you need to sort of reestablish yourself and and um or not necessarily down but they but the other team got back in the game you need to eat some clock give your defense a rest you know they come out and, and Rogers kind of throws these desultory long passes um, and in this in this game, he missed twice. He missed. He underthrew and then he overthrew Romeo Dubs. Um, and both times, Dubs was in a position to be able to make a play if the ball was on was on the money. And you know, I say desultory deliberately because it, it really looks like he's kind of going through motions, yeah. um, as it were. And we know that you know as much turmoil as Tom Brady's had. Um, Rogers has had almost as much one, one way or another relieved, you know, Brady can't go home to Giselle. Rogers can go to pack McAfee on Mondays and, you know, and blow off his excess tension, but I'm not sure that that's the best thing. Well, uh, he needs somebody to tell him to cop himself on one, one, um, we'll obviously talk about the New York teams as the season goes on. Cause they're incredible stories. Um, you know, even early on in the season, the knives were getting sharpened for Robert Sala, and all of a sudden, you know, they're they're meaningful contenders. Um, but meanwhile, like slowly but surely, kind of like the Terminator and Terminator Two, Bill Belichick is even though he keeps getting like bullet in the head, uh, he keeps building this team who, you know, absolutely blew the Browns out of it in a game that really should have suited the Browns. The third string rookie quarterback, like, no big deal. Yeah, we'll stick up 29, no, actually 30 something points. And the the injured wide receiver that hasn't played a game comes out of nowhere, touches the ball four times, scores two touchdowns. You're like, all right. So uh, maybe Bill Belichick will have the last laugh after all. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I still kind of wish that their offense was, was a bit more imaginative, but they, they did come up 
um, and and make a few plays this time instead of being incredibly predictable. But it's typical. They're not the only team that is run-oriented and defense-oriented in the league right now as opposed to kind of big play-oriented. And they're... It's kind of old school football, but it also works against teams who are stuck in in kind of too high zone defense zone defenses. Now he's out again. I, they out he out coached Matt Lafleur and lost. He's out coached two coaches in a row now. Where you know um, and Detroit and Cleveland, but these are not great teams that the Patriots are beating, and they keep making mistakes which good teams would pounce on. Um, and they don't have to be great teams, just good teams. You think of the first week of the season where they lost to Miami and they made a couple of mistakes and otherwise they they probably could have won that game. But it, it really is, you know, incredible to see how when you're doing the basics right, um, you, you can come up with these wins. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I was naming all the games because there were so many games that were like reunion games. Belichick, of course, coached in Cleveland at the start of his career. The other quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, was a Patriots quarterback. So, you know, I, I was wondering if some some one of the stats gurus had a stat for, you know, what was Bill Belichick's record coming back to teams to use to coach against quarterbacks he drafted. Yeah, I, I bet you it's like there's a zero at the end of it. Uh, Mike, yeah. we're, we're out of time. Great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Uh, Cheers. Okay, thanks, Jer. It's Mike Carson now giving us a look back at the weekend. One thing, Nathan, I was thinking, um, he's 45, Brady, right? And his, his next contract is $350 million with Fox. So if you're going into like the 22-year-old fresh out of college who's never earned anything and you're asking him to protect you and you're not showing up for work in the middle of the week and your next contract is more money for not even playing the game, just for talking about it, than he's ever going to see in his life, how does that relationship work? You know? I bet you Tom is still sending the thumbs up into the emoji group, unaware of the fact, blissfully unaware of the fact that the people he's sending it to think he's being a dick for sending it. Well, uh, and maybe this will uh, be the perfect segue. Like, is there a comparison with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United? That from afar you can look at this and say, well, would any 22-year-old not just give anything to be in a dressing room with Tom Brady? And you probably think that, but then you're there and results aren't going well. And he's off doing whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. And you're going, well, actually, you know. He spends his time shouting at you. The the novelty of getting to uh, sit beside him and have a chat with him. And likewise with Ronaldo last year. Like, he comes in, this guy, it can only be a great thing for the young players. What a professional. Turns out, like, wreaks havoc on the dressing room, uh, undermines the captain. And again, hammers you at every possible occasion. Are you going to like that guy? I'm not sure. We're going to move to... uh, Soccer with um, Samuel Luckers of the Manchester Evening News. A reminder, OTBAM is brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Before all that, though, David Brady managed a toth to the Mead senior football title yesterday against Conor Gillespie's Summerhill. Speaking with our own Ashing Riley afterwards about the schmozzle between both managers. You might have seen this at the end of the game. That saw Brady hit the deck. Back after this. And you obviously have history playing Mead back in the day. 1996 comes to mind. <laughs> Did you ever imagine in 1996 in that brawl that you'd be here standing here managing a, a Rateau team to a Mead senior title? And, and hitting the deck as well. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I hit the deck in 96, but I hit it today. And look, it was, it was, it was innocuous and it was, there was nothing to it. And it was emotions with a minute left in a county final. Sure, look it. And again, I'll probably learn how. I'm wearing runners on the sideline rather than boots, so yeah, I need to. I need to look after the. Uh, I need to get new footwear, so I do. Yeah. For people that don't know and haven't seen the game, this will go out and off the ball. So what did happen? There was a bit of a 
Schmozzle on the side, yeah, with the two managers at the end and other players, I don't know, yeah. trying to pull fellas off and fellas were trying to pull fellas on and man says, I up scuttled and man says, landed on the landed on the ground and Asher's ground, yeah. And you saw red record? Yeah. Well, someone saw it, but man says, honest to God, I put my hand up for 96, but not for 2022, no. And manager um, Gletsby, he came in afterwards. Connor, he spoke, yeah, Connor spoke. Look, you're going to yourself. Well, you, not even that. There was nothing to it. And Jesus, it's a, it's a county final and emotions run high, but that's the most important thing. And they're great guys. Great, Connor, I respect Connor highly and he's a ma- fantastic team. And I hope to God, that, as I said, look after yourself for the next few days. Yeah. It is hard it because is. you put in so much effort. Um, but yeah, if it was the other end, the knives would be out. But, you know, you go and have a few beers and you, 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 you surround yourself by good people. And that's the important thing. And David. OTB AM. It's uh, 15 minutes past eight, and you're very welcome back to OTB AM, brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave, Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Now, Samuel Luckhurst is with us this morning. Samuel, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, most of the rest of the football world was watching um, Liverpool and Manchester City, and so not a lot of people will have seen <coughs> the Manchester United performance against Newcastle uh, minor controversy when Ronaldo gets substituted off and is um, having a bit of a strop but that aside what was the quality of the performance like for Manchester United? It, it was a backward step yesterday they, they started reasonably brightly but once Newcastle got settled in um, it, it was difficult for United to, to break them down Without Christian Eriksen, they do struggle for a solution against teams who sit in a low block, who have a very um, obvious game plan, a tried and tested game plan at Old Trafford, but one that is likelier to succeed these days because United is still trying to transition to this style that Ten Hag wants to implement. But after looking pretty good in the first half against Everton, uh, eight days ago, yesterday was 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 a massive backward step in the Newcastle were the better side in the first half, and they didn't do anything extraordinary, but they were just more competitive, they're more intense. Too many individuals in in a red shirt just didn't turn up. Uh, it was slightly better in the second half. Newcastle did tire, uh, which is predictable, but United still didn't fashion enough clear openings. It was only in the last five or seven minutes, really, where you had that opportunity for Fred from uh, the square ball from from Rashford. And then, of course, Rashford's header that, that went wide in the 95th minute. But it would have been flashing on United had they had they got a win yesterday because Newcastle were well, des- well worthy of a point. Really does underline the importance of Christian Eriksen to the side because, listen, Casemiro is obviously a world-class talent at what he does, but his job is getting the ball to more talented players likewise with Fred it's keep it simple you don't want him trying too much give it to the more talented players or have an Ericsson in that deeper role who can play that 40 yard 50 yard pass who can cut one through the middle quickly to Fernandez or Rashford it changes the dynamic of that United team completely like there's very f- trying to think of the top teams who have two holding midfielders there's very few of them who need to play two holding midfielders he's the only lock picker in that squad Ericsson and for all the record investment in the summer it's it's the freebie who has, has really underlined his importance and, and yesterday was the first time that he didn't start in the Premier League he, he wasn't even in the squad at all because he was unwell so that restricted Ten Hag's game-changing options Rashford was the only player who came on he only didn't start because he was he was feeling under the weather as well in Ten Hag's words the, the two midfielders United had to 
possibly change the game. We're never ever going to come on uh, in, in, in Zidane, Iqbal and, and Kobe Mainu. Both those players were in a Premier League squad for the first time yesterday. Mainu is only 17. He looks a very good talent. He's, po- he's possibly the most uh, polished player of that Youth Cup winning side from last season. But he was starting for the under-21s against Chelsea at King's Meadow on Saturday. Iqbal is a tidy player, but he's he's not been particularly tested beyond some pre-season games. So one or two injuries or one, one or two absences from midfield, and they're very light there. And already it's becoming clear... Um, I mean, the clocks haven't even gone back yet, but as far as that next block of their rebuild, the squad rebuild goes at United, you have to say that they, they're going to need another midfielder there, which, of course, will um, restart the Frankie de Jong talk again, particularly given um, the, the dire week Barcelona have just had, and it looks like they're not going to qualify for the Champions League knockout stage as well. And, and de Jong is still not getting um, enough playing time under Chavi, but they do need someone of De Jong's profile because Ericsson is 30. Everybody knows what happened in Copenhagen last year. I think that's been an issue that United have uh, addressed over the last week in terms of benching him against Ammonia, but they still needed to bring him on in that game because, again, beyond him being the only lot picker in the team or in the squad, they do not have enough reliable goal scorers either. Yeah, it's um, you know it was it was a good window in the end in terms of getting players in who will be first team players and who can make a significant difference to the team. But it it really was uh, a, a rehabilitative piece of work that was the beginning of a process as opposed to the end of a process. It, the game yesterday is a good opportunity to kind of gauge where they are versus the other teams who are probably in the hunt or just behind the teams who are feeling very strongly about finishing the top four. Like, do Manchester United need to be winning these games at this stage against the Newcastles of the world to try and quell the fact that Newcastle are going to get a lot of confidence and they could go on a run and easily pip them to top four? I still think that it, that's too premature for Newcastle. Yesterday, really, they, they were too reticent in the second half. I think if they're playing like that next season, then there'll be question marks asked of of their ambition and, and, and of Eddie Howe, really. At this stage, I think, obviously, they're going to take a point. But the way they approached it, they, they were probably less adventurous than they were at Anfield, um, however long ago that was earlier in the season when when Liverpool won with with almost the last kick of the game and Newcastle bungled a couple of opportunities on the breakaway just before them. They they weren't as adventurous yesterday in the second half. They were in the first half. They had some gumption about themselves. But also in terms of the point of United really needed to win that game, Newcastle had some key players absent as well. Uh, Isaac, who's looked a, a very good signing and, and has potential to, to lead the line for them for a long time. He wasn't playing. Willock's been an important player for them in midfield. He wasn't starting either. So when you still look at that Newcastle team, it's a team that United should should be aiming to beat. And th- this this period of games was always going to be a good gauge of United in that they've, of course, got Tottenham on, at home on Wednesday and then Chelsea on Saturday. So within a, a six or seven day period, they've got three huge games. They've played one, um, not scored in it. And last week with those two home games, the only goal they did get was a 93rd minute uh, from Scott McTominay against Ammonia uh, in, in the Europa League. So th- I think these concerns... They've, they've not just all of a sudden come to light in pre-season. You looked at the investment in that squad, but you still looked at it and thought that they're hanging their hats on certain players to get goals or come good. 
when you can't be certain of their reliability. Anthony is a case in point in that they've spent an obscene amount of money on a player who, watching him yesterday as well, um, he's not particularly quick. He was up against Dan Byrne, who's a good, you know, solid Premier League defender, but he's a centre-back and he's playing at left-back and he wasn't getting outpaced by Anthony. And he's also painfully one-footed um, to the point that it's all, already apparent that defenders know how to how to play him. It's just get him onto his right foot and then he's extremely limited. And Ten Hag has said about how he needs to show variations and maybe that will come in, in time and he will develop. But this is a player that United have spent, as I said, £85 million on. You, you're going to need some instant impacts. And fair enough to him, he's, he's got the goals, but even on his debut although you can't be too critical at that point, there were aspects of his game where you saw it and you thought that's going to take time to uh, you know, to knock into shape because as, as as much as he has been scoring and he's got a decent record, of course, in the Premier League of, of three goals in four games, it has been masking his performance level, which has just not been high enough. It's It's been too erratic. Uh, Ronaldo wasn't particularly pleased to come off and probably less pleased when he saw Marcus Rashford miss a couple of opportunities that he would have certainly backed himself to take uh, it's always a big story when Ronaldo's taken off particularly when it's the only substitution and he's maybe thrown the arms around a bit uh, his overall performance levels considering he got that start like does he deserve to be in the team for games of this stature against teams of the quality of Newcastle? This is the other issue United have in the they look a lot much better side and a more complete side up front when Anthony Marshall is starting and he started one Premier League game in the last year for them. Their attack revolved around Marshall in pre-season. He played well. Pre-season can be meaningless, but they had continuity with him, Sancho and Rashford playing. Marshall got injured a week before the season started and it really has compromised the fluidity of that attack and how Ten Hag has um, has managed it as well. You, it's easy to forget the first weekend of the season. Christian Eriksen was effectively playing up front in a in a strikeless formation, and Ronaldo was on the bench. Ronaldo was really poor yesterday. He was more of a hindrance than a help. He was dropping too deep. Um, I, I wonder if he's consciously doing that to try and show that he can be a flexible forward, and that this talk of him being too rigid and being a bit of an obstacle to how United want to play—that's him railing against it. The, the other way of looking at it is that he's dropping so deep because every time he was further forward, he was always offside. Uh, and this is another issue in that old father time is catching up with him and he is always looking to be ahead of the last defender. There were times yesterday where Newcastle could have easily had um, or, or easily played offside against Ronaldo, against United's counter-attacks. They didn't consciously do it and he would still end up offside. I think it was towards the end of the first half, Anthony put a cross in that was overhit, but Ronaldo, he wasn't getting to it. He yeah. wasn't flagged offside, but he was offside. And so you know, Marshall was, was missing again yesterday. He has become injury prone. Again, United are, are hanging their hats there on someone who, as I said, has only started one Premier League game uh, in the last year for them. That lasted 29 minutes at Everton just over a week ago. And, is he a reliable goal scorer? You cannot say that for certain no. whatsoever. And, and Marshall turns 27 in December. Uh, <clears throat> Anthony Ryan, one of our, our listeners, wants to know, can you ask Samuel why Facundra Palestri isn't uh, getting off Manchester United? He's a Uruguay international. This is the 20-year-old. Uh, he's on the bench yesterday, but never a hint of him really getting any game time, is there? No. Uh, one of the strangest signings uh, they've made in recent years, and they've, they've got form for doing that. I think it's something like, it's two years and 11 days I think I clocked it yesterday since he signed 
and he has still not had a competitive kick. He's been on the bench a, a bunch of times, but I, I always think it's a red flag when you sign a player and then you loan him out to an overseas league. And Plestri is, is a Spanish speaker, so they put him to, to, to Alaves in, in La Liga for a couple of different loan spells. But when you're doing that, it's almost as if you're assimilating to a different league. And La Liga is a markedly different league from the Premier League. And there was there was merit in actually putting him on yesterday because Anthony was too uh, one-dimensional. They probably needed a more direct winger. Uh, it, it was worth going with a wild card option. But he was someone who was signed on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's watch on a very haphazard deadline day that's not aged well whatsoever in that United signed Cavani uh, very opportunistically. He picked and choose when he played. They signed Alex Tellez, who peaked on his debut and was, was pretty worthless for the majority of his time thereafter. And then they invested £46 million in Palestri and Ahmad Diallo, who's now on loan at Sunderland. So I, 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 it's, it's difficult to see him having a, a pathway under Ten Hag. And during pre-season, the, the, I think the ex- expectation was that he was going to go out on loan. He got injured. That's got the loan move. So United are saddled with him, or Ten Hag is saddled with him until January and doesn't seem particularly inclined to, to give him a chance. What a transfer window when you put it like that. <laughs> uh, was it, were there boos at the end? It kind of difficult to... to um, there were the some boos. And, and is that just because the performance midweek was terrible? Uh, as you said, the last-minute goal um, from McTominay uh, against really a Nicosia team who weren't that good. And then it's nil all. So are the fans genuinely beginning to turn on the team a little bit or was it just a smattering? What was your take on that? It was it was quite as you say it was a smattering. I think the the loudest the boos were, um, were reserved for the referee, and the referee was bad, but he was not decisively bad. Looking at those penalty shouts yesterday, if anything, Callum Wilson had the strongest of the lot uh, when when Varane was quite clumsy in his challenge with with him in the first half. Sancho took far too theatrical a tumble, um, even though there was some contact from Longstaff that you felt instinctively at the time that. Far wouldn't intervene just because of, of the way he, he threw himself to the ground. But as I said, you know, the, the, there was there was just element of frustration from United fans, and that they'd seen a, a pretty worthless game. It was a really poor game. There was not a light, not a lot to write home about whatsoever. And, and the referee didn't really help matters. There were a lot of stoppages. There was a lot of time wasting, and um, there wasn't a great deal of flow to the game. Whereas obviously at City yesterday, I think the the referee, despite the, the flashpoint with the disallowed goal, um, he seemed to get a fair few kudos for actually letting the game flow whilst and, and letting you know, over, overlooking challenges. So th- there's no real sign of of United fans turning at the moment, and it's difficult to see that happening. Certainly before the World Cup starts as well. But these next two games are pretty pretty big to say the least, and that they can't lose too much ground on the teams in the top four. And I think at the start of kickoff yesterday, Tottenham were eight points ahead of them. It's obviously been trimmed a little bit, but if Tottenham win on Wednesday, that, that could have a you know a profound impact on their season. The big game, obviously, the weekend was at Anfield yesterday, Liverpool's best performance of the season, Manchester City's first defeat of the season. Arsenal are now four points clear, which is such a shame that that game is not on Wednesday night and an opportunity for Arsenal to maybe really put some daylight between themselves and City. 
is, is it just two very good teams yesterday in Liverpool edge Manchester City out or was there something Liverpool identified do you think from that game that maybe gives the rest hope when we've all been assuming that Erling Haaland will score 45 goals this season and City will win the league by 10 or 15 points like maybe that just won't be the case but I mean, Liverpool have the hex over City at Anfield in the City have not won there with a capacity crowd since 2003. I mean, it was so long ago, Peter Schmeichel was in goal for them and uh, Gerard Houllier would have still been the, the Liverpool manager. City won there during lockdown um, in, in the behind-closed-doors era and I, I don't think that's a coincidence. There's, there's just something about Anfield and I think that was reflected in Guardiola's comments after the game when he was asked about the, the coins being tossed at him and he said, oh, they, they miss me, but they, they got the bus a few years ago. I mean, City have got a, a big hang-up about that night from the Champions League quarterfinals in 2018 where they had an extremely hostile uh, welcome uh, to put it mildly and it's it's just one of those grounds that they they can't seem to uh, to to really properly turn it on at i mean the game there last season was 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 a blistering game that that 2-2 both of them were uh, but i think really looking at liverpool yesterday it's it's amazing how much more however big these teams are they seem to revel more um and and they get more out of their players when they are the underdogs. Uh, you saw that with United against Liverpool uh, at home in in August, when United had been battered four 0 by Brentford um, nine days earlier. And sometimes that's going to lift players. Uh, that the crowd seemed a lot more up for it. And it's, I think, the one takeaway from being present for behind closed doors games and then being present and having the privilege of you know, fans being allowed back in and seeing how players cope with it is that a crowd makes a hell of a lot of a difference. And a lot of players had good seasons in the behind-closed-door era because they prefer playing football without supporters present, which is not a reliable gauge of, of a footballer's quality. But I, I, there are still certain grounds when, when they turn it on that they, they can unnerve players. And as as, you, as I touched upon earlier, with, with a disallowed goal, I, I can see it from both sides. I think that the, the line tone that City went with afterwards about the referee letting things go, but then deciding that that was a foul, I think is a, is a valid point. But there is a tug from Haaland. And when you do slow it down, it does look always worse as well. And I think given the magnitude of the game and, and, and the rivalry that has brewed between those teams in the last five years, it would have been remiss of the officials not to have taken um, take, you know, taken the decision to overturn it at that point. I wonder if the letting it go is because of VAR as well, knowing that actually we can let the game flow and if there is mm. something missed, if, some, if a tackle is more severe than at first look, they can have a look at the video afterwards and change their mind because there was four or five fouls that actually if a goal had come at the end of it, they probably would have had to have gone back and overturned it because the referee was letting everything go. And I, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, like Liverpool's home form, it is insane. Like there's never been a greater proof of the impact of a home crowd than the statistics around Liverpool. Like they haven't lost at home in front of a crowd in five and a half years. Palace beat them in April 2017. Yeah. They lost six at home, six in a row at home during COVID when there was nobody there. Yeah. Six in a row. Yeah, well, that, that that's what I sensed at the time. I remember going to uh, cover United there and United got a nil-nil draw. And at the time you thought that was a decent point for United. And, and then after that, that's when all that those sequence of defeats started and Burnley won there and City finally won there. Everton finally won there. I think Fulham won there as well. There were a lot of teams that went to Anfield who hadn't won there in decades. 
and then they won. And it's not a coincidence that they won those games because the the, the cop was was empty, um, the, the stands were sparse, and I, I don't think you can underestimate that. And it's you know it's, it's something that Liverpool have obviously um, sometimes the crowd can be overplayed at Anfield. I've I've been there on occasions where it has been quite humdrum, but there are also occasions where it is the most atmospheric uh, ground in in England when it's when it's in it you know in its absolute element and i think city as i said there there has been a rivalry brewing there in in recent years and there've been certain incidents that um have not gone down well at all with uh, the city side of things but it's it's still a ground that liverpool seem to have the hex over them certainly when when supporters are present samuel great stuff great to have you with us thanks a million cheers thank you again that's uh, samuel looker sorry giving us his thoughts on the game um did Pep get everything right yesterday? Uh, I thought De Bruyne's positioning was a bit strange. Like, having him out on the right-hand side, and he had a couple of moments where he almost linked up, when he did link up with Haaland, and Haaland didn't take the chance. But I sort of feel in a game like that, you want De Bruyne deeper, where he's more involved in the game, where he's getting on the ball all the time, whereas you're relying on somebody else to get it. Like, he stuck out on the right-hand side a lot. There was a big debate after the game between Carragher and Neville as to exactly the sort of system... They were playing. All the stats that even Sky had shown seem to suggest that Carragher was right, that like, Kinsella was in a line right beside De Bruyne for an awful lot of the game, playing as a right wing back, and Foden was on the other side. Like, did he get a lot wrong? Like, these games are one goal. Like, City had chances. Well, so there's very little between them. There's very little between them. After the game, you're saying there's very little between them. Before the game, like we oh, we but, did a, we did a preview on the uh, football kickoff on Friday, and like the general consensus was that City are two goal better team than Liverpool at the moment I, I understand the point you're about to make about it's at Anfield and the record there is incredible and I listen to everything Samuel says and there's obviously there's something in their head about it but if it'd be nice to see Pep pick his best team with his best players in the best position in the big game once and just see what happens just well, see what happens it, it, they're all good players you really like them pick it, your best players in the best position once it's different from a fortnight ago because they were at home in the Manchester derby but that performance was so good do you not just play Grealish on the left and play Foden on the right again and play De Bruyne slightly deeper? Now, Rodri was back. He wasn't available for that game. Like, maybe maybe, maybe that was a good thing. Like, maybe uh, not having in. that guy who just uh, keeps things nice and tidy uh, slows things down for Manchester City. Was, that not, was yesterday not the day to suck Liverpool into the deep water and drown them and say, thanks very much, off you go, you're finished? But yesterday was more about Liverpool than City. Like, Liverpool came out in a way that Manchester United didn't afford okay, they were cornered on them and they're a much better all team all guns blazing okay. they had all the intensity like they defended rocks all the more reason the back. to punch them in the nose and go but, that they, was your but they didn't let them punch them in the nose uh, well, but uh, is there not a little bit of Man City who are like okay we have to change things because the opposition is so good yeah we can do that it's fine it's no big deal it's a bit of a big deal you know it's just, uh, how many of those games where he's, he's made those significant changes he's going to say I do it all. I do it every week. You can't tell your your tick. I'm like, fair enough. You do know a lot more about football than the rest of the world, Pep. Yeah, no, I I I, I was definitely surprised with the way that um, that Cancelo played and the way that De Bruyne in particular. I just think De Bruyne, like he he was as good as I've ever seen him in that Manchester derby. Like the drive, the way he was able to win the ball back deep in midfield and turn and sprint forward 30, 40 yards and create the chance for Haaland. He couldn't do that at all because he was stuck out on the right-hand side. That wasn't his game. That wasn't what they were asking him to do. You're right. It's very hard to disagree with Pep, but I, 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 I thought they could have gone about it very similar and even bring 
Rodri into the team, but play De Bruyne where he's at his best. Like you want Kevin De Bruyne touching the ball more than anybody else in the game. Yeah, yeah. But um, did Pep overthink it again? Uh, 8.38 this morning, time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's just bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Uh, right, Colin Mulaney's with us. Colin, good morning to you. How are you? Hi, lads. How's it going? You were doing commentary of the Derry game. I was there. Yeah. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, Derry probably could have gone four, even five up in the first 20, 25 minutes. They had plenty of chances. Uh, Treaty hung in there. Then they got their penalty in half hour mark. And then from then on, it was kind of nervy on Derry's part, even though they still had a lot of chances. But uh, Jack Brady and goal for Treaty made a lot of really good saves to keep them in the game but um, I think it'll be a good cup final I think uh, Shelburne and Waterford was um, it was in difficult conditions so it probably wasn't the best game in the world to watch but Shelburne are going to be really difficult to beat for Derry City even though Derry probably will be uh, favourites you would think for that but um, yeah it's been a good uh, cup campaign and obviously probably what went under the radar yesterday to some extent given that the cup semi-finals run is that Shamrock Rovers dropped points against Drogheda um, which brings Derry right back into contention for the league title if they win their game in hand, they're three behind and uh, they play each other on Sunday week in Tala. All right. So this is the one. All right. Yeah. Great. Tala. So now, Derry need to win all their games. Yeah, and Derry have a tough run in. I think they've got... Um, Shells. Sliger Rovers and St. Shells are going to put well. out a, a good team in that. Is that before the Cup? Before yeah, the they cup play final. Shells on uh, Friday, play Shells Friday night. Yeah. As you say, away to Sligo and then the game against Rovers uh, in the penultimate game of the season. Now, you know, even as somebody who goes to Rovers all the time, I'm like, I want it to be on the balance that night. I think everyone kind of wants yeah. it to be even three points. I know Rovers have a better goal difference, but if, she, if Derry get the victories, they close that. I think it's only five at the moment. Mm. So yeah, this is going to be good. It's slightly nervy, yeah. It's slightly nervy for Shamrock Rovers, but it's great for the league. I mean, from a, from a neutral standpoint, it's fantastic. Uh, Derry are really, really good. Really good. Michael Duffy was excellent yesterday. And... Uh, Brian Maher and goals. They've got so many good players around the pitch and Will Patching was suspended yesterday as well. He's had a brilliant season. So, Well, it's really good for the league as well for the next couple of seasons because there was a feeling that maybe Shamrock Rovers uh, with their financial backing, with how well set up they are with their academy system, the conveyor belt of talent coming through, that they may just go and dominate for the next four or five years. But obviously Derry have got themselves a billionaire owner. They've got Michael Duffy maybe the best player in the league right now uh, McElhaney, McGonagall, like they have any amount of talent yeah. and you'd have to expect that they're going to invest Again, uh, sure. Derry produces an insane amount of good footballers who all want to go back home as well. Mm. Like maybe there's a maybe there's a return for James McLean, who eventually says, "Screw this, I'm sick of this uh, abuse every single week." When I'm having the in the best form of my life, uh, I'm going to. Uh, he will go back home, I'm no doubt. To yeah, Derry, I, I don't think it'll be so, next yeah. season, but because he's at the, the Brandywell pretty regularly, isn't he? So it wouldn't be a surprise at all. And uh, like Damien Duff at Shelburne is brilliant as well for the league. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. And like it'd be great Little if Shelburne, Shelburne. It'd be great if Shelburne could become title contenders over the next couple of seasons under Duff. Like that would be It'd be tough. It'll be incredibly difficult from to yeah. Yeah. But does does Duff go from little old shells to big old rovers at some stage? No. No. It's not gonna do that. I don't think he's been at Rovers before, hasn't he? He's been, been at Rovers. Very, yeah. very good relationship. Uh, Stephen Brad even said he was hoping the Shells go on and win the cup. Such as his closeness of his relationship okay. with Duffer. No, I mean, he's not going to take Bradley's job then. No, I'm, I'm uh, here. Nobody, no. I don't think anybody at uh, Shamrock Rovers wants rid of Stephen Bradley. I'm saying if Stephen Bradley himself decides over the coming years he had that opportunity to go to Lincoln, if he were to move on, 
like maybe Duffer's prime to take on you know a big job. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We'll see. Wow, shots fired from the Rovers fan. I'm just quoting Damien just, Duffer's the one who said it's a little old Shelburne, not yeah, well, they, me. I just, thought they were a big club. They've just come up from their first division. Uh, well, little old Shelburne was him obviously uh, saying what everybody else said. A sleeping oh, giant. Well, Johnny Ward called him oh, sleeping giant. We still going back to that. We are, yeah. You got to take it where you can get it. Um, can we get a shout out for Celtic's legendary Japanese King Nakamura, says Zen TV in our YouTube comments, who was announced he's retiring at the end of the Japan season, retiring at the age of 44. Ooh. Wow. Hero. Loved the free kick, didn't he? Um, therefore, like the biggest of the European nights were, it was Strachan really, that team that was, or was it before that even? A uh, free kick against United. United, wasn't it, yeah. To both games against Manchester United in the same season, one at Old Trafford and then one at Celtic Park, got them through. But the free kicks were insane. They were about 35 yards out. Boom, top corner. Not bad. 44. Yeah, 44 still going. Um, uh, Arsenal very, very lucky yesterday, says Bobby Dwyer, Spurs fan. Uh, Bamford's goal should never have been disallowed. Their luck will run out. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you're praying there, Bobby, as opposed to... It's not, not quite based on facts. Tennis Tank says, I'm a Liverpool fan. Let's not forget City dominated large parts of the game. I think City are going to dominate large parts of most games. That'd be football. Uh, Rogers is some of the worst wide receivers in the league says Chris straight stuff into the bread basket and they're dropping them stuff straight into the bread basket and they're dropping them well not always uh, Aaron Rodgers is also a weirdo and at some point um, you know his, is Tom Brady not? Uh, well Tom Brady's kind of like a cyborg he's kind of the American football version of Haaland uh, there's a great piece on um, is it Bleacher Report or somebody where they're they're like predicting what he was saying I didn't leave my wife and kids to be being beaten by Kenny Bloody Pickens. That's what they're suggesting he was saying on the sidelines. Right. So, does it, you know, Brady's getting divorced. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read. Uh, like, Mahomes and Allen last night, is that is that not the big talking point? Is that what everyone in America's talking about? Or is, is Tom Brady just still I think, such a superstar that I him Brady, losing the rag? Tom Brady's still Tom Brady. And they like the Pittsburgh team aren't very good at the moment. Their best defender's uh, not fully fit and their new young quarterback isn't great yet and he had to go off injured and they replaced him and they still got beaten. Um, and you can't take the day off. No days off. That was like Bill Belichick's thing. Is like, I'm taking the day off every week. And then he showed up the first week. But that was just because he knew he had this wedding coming and then went to the wedding. Can't be going to weddings. You just can't do it. It's Robert Kraft's wedding. I'd say it's a good wedding. I'd say there's a bit of that where, you know, Brady never got paid very much when, during his time there and they, oh, they always managed to. So maybe there's something down the line where they're going to So he's do turning up and instead of giving him the 150 quid in the envelope, he's, it's, it's like, you know, he's, he's going by himself so he's only giving the, the 75. Well, you know, now. it's cheaper. I'm only, only one place. Uh, I'll never not be amazed at an intelligent man who spend years meticulously planning tactics, strategies, media training, learning language, just completely and utterly lose the plot on the sideline. Pep and Klopp should be in the red. Ridiculous stuff. I thought they were talking about David Brady. Hey. Uh, the club situation yesterday, um, Carl. Yep. Some big headlines, some as expected, and all comes down to Shane Walsh. If you, if you could have written a script. There you go. Shane Walsh, like, being stitched up in the back of an ambulance to come back out in the second half and kick the winners in the second half. Maybe not the actual winner. Did he kick the actual winner as well? He kicked the winner at the end. That's right. He got four points, there. didn't he? Yeah, so... I think three in the second half and they win by a point. Carl, you watch a lot of these club games. Would Kilmacud have won the Dublin Championship if Shane Walsh hadn't signed for them? Probably not. There we go. Not if Paul Mannion wasn't there. Paul Mannion was sat and in the sideline in the so rain. Probably not. Uh, disappointed for Nafina, obviously. They're trying to make the breakthrough back and 
Uh, it was really tight, wasn't it? Like 11 10, uh, I believe it was very tactical. Uh, there wasn't too many goal chances from what I hear. So I was flicking across to it, and every time I flicked across, uh, Johnny Cooper was, was involved in something. I'll watch Johnny Cooper play a club. I don't want to watch many people play club football on TV, but I'll watch Johnny Cooper as he's getting in shame all his face again and again. Just the constant niggle out of him. Uh, and Nafina missed a couple of great chances as well. Like the conditions were, as they seem to be everywhere yesterday, yeah, absolutely atrocious. Uh, and they missed a couple of really kickable points when they had a chance to push properly clear and you thought the Kilmacud were right on the ropes. Uh, but yeah, Shane Walsh, biggest club in the country, wins wins the Dublin Championships. Not a, not surprised. This is the story. I don't know if it's a story. I mean, I, 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 you, you're from the competing hinterland. Is there. No, is, no, no. There we're a small club trying to do our best, you know, with. Are you, are you jealous? Absolutely not. Of the big numbers they have. Of, of Kilmacud? No. Yeah. No, where's, like, you know, isn't the GEA all about, you know, small hinterlands and. But they're a super club. Exactly. Well done to them. Yeah. So basically, this is like Man City winning. Exactly. You said it, not me. Well, I, I mean, they, I'm explaining what They have the most amount of players. They have the most members. They should be winning these things, shouldn't they? Are Nafina, because uh, you know the north side uh, a little bit better than I do, are they the Kilmacud of the north side? I don't know. I, I don't know the numbers. Or is that not Vincent's until your relegation? Vincent's would be, be a normal-sized club compared to, like, we don't have... Vincent's don't have loads and loads and loads and loads of pitches around the place There's I don't know what the answer to Kilmacud is yeah. like should there be more clubs I, I do ask this all the time because you go across say the south side you go from Kula to Kilmacud to Ballyboden uh, to Jude's like you're talking in between there with Ballyboden and Kilmacud you know between the two of those clubs alone probably more players than the vast majority of counties have at this stage yeah true true at underage level like is it is it more clubs or is it actually well, in fairness to the bigger clubs, it's very hard because they're so established now to go and try and break them up nah. would be very unfair, yeah, I would say. Such facilities and yeah, uh, exactly. such a good structure around their coaching and yeah. around their volu- getting all the volunteers on board. But It does make it inevitable, right? That like they, there's, there's a sense of inevitability that they're going to start winning everything over a period of time. And then it becomes self-fulfilling when you can get the best talent from outside the county. Well, that's the bigger question. Like, should Shea Walsh isn't... Uh, the, the only interesting proposal I heard around Shane Walsh and this, he can do what he wants or sign for who he wants obviously uh, is if you're an intermediate player should you have to sign for the intermediate club now he'd never do it if that was the case but Shane Walsh isn't an intermediate player like he's one of the best players in the country if you play for an intermediate club yeah I know yeah, what you're saying yeah. but again I think that kind of penalises the player for the club yeah. and then the that's life that's the GEA isn't it how many players have been penalised from <laughs> the club they were born into <laughs> yeah well you know you do get to play for your county then exactly he still gets to play for his county um, yeah, I don't know. I suspect something will happen though with players that aren't from Dublin transferring to Dublin clubs. That something it's too something. late now. The horse is bolted. They're going to be an All Ireland champion out of this. Yeah, like who's going to stop them? Well, was, was yesterday to prove everyone uh, wondered would Kilma could have won the All Ireland last year if Shane Walsh was there? Would he have uh, got them over the line? Yeah. Well, actually, he got them over the line yesterday in an incredibly tight game. Yeah. Well, he's so good, and fair play to him, and con- congratulations to everybody involved. Nathan's not in the slightest bit bitter. Uh, what else? Anything else from the club that stuck out? Uh, yesterday, well, in women's football, Burris Shule won the Mayo title for the first time. Six points to 1-2, I think, was the full-time score. That game was at the Connacht Centre of Excellence in quite bad conditions yesterday. Um, lots of, I think there was 15 county finals yesterday. St. Finbars and Cork won the hurling again. First time in 29 years, I think, which is a big breakthrough for them. Uh, dreadful conditions down there as well. I think there was flooding around Parky Cueve. Uh, after the game yesterday so I mean 15 county finals yesterday I think again it's another illustration of the 
benefit of the split season. There seem to be really good attendances across the board as well. Um, and, you know, all things considered, another successful weekend for the club. But the All-Ireland Club champions, you mentioned Kilmacook Croaks, Kilku uh, came through after extra time in the down final yesterday by one thirteen to 15 So they're still alive. Well, a high-scoring game, wasn't it? Well, we could see it, well, after extra time, we could see it. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we could see a repeat then, hopefully. Uh, that would be good. Uh, rivalry, maybe somebody else who can, like... Dream at least of taking down the the mighty unstoppable juggernaut that is Kilmacook Crocs. Hey, look at look at the hurling. Look at Ballyhale. Have you been to Ballyhale? I actually have never been. To You've Ballyhale. never been to Ballyhale. I've been to Ballyhale a couple of times recently. We went down to the show down there. Yeah. Like there's not much going on in Ballyhale. Like they, since the bypass happened, when I was down there just before COVID, there was literally nothing in the village. There was no shops at that stage because, and I think they again shows the brilliance of Ballyhale. They all got together and created a community shop yeah. and a little coffee shop where people could go in, not for profit, so that there'd be an outlet within the village. Yeah. Uh, which shows what they're all about. Yeah. But like ever since the village was bypassed, like. There's there's no great enterprise there or anything like that. So to be able to uh, produce maybe the two best hurlers of all time, certainly, uh, it's unbelievable people, what they do. People in the like there's no. I think they're doing fundraising at the moment, but there was no astro. There was no astro pitch down there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just get on with it. Yeah, it turns out the facilities are all you need. Uh, the big breaking news this morning is that it's been confirmed that Bernard Dunn is going to look after the uh, high performance boxing unit in India. Kelly Harrington has um, tweeted her disappointment at this. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that a little bit later on. It had been mooted a while back, and I wish him all the very best. Uh, Bernard's a great fella and really deserve to be treated better by Irish boxing, but he's been treated the same way that uh, several people before him all the way back to Gary Keegan, who basically invented the high-performance unit. So, you know, when the same outcome keeps happening, you have to wonder what is the cause of that. And you'd have to say that uh, boxing in Ireland doesn't know how to deal with its talented uh, coaches and administrators. OTBAM brought to you live uh, each morning with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Up next, Alan Quinlan talking rugby. First, here's David Myler telling us about fanboying the former Liverpool winger Harry Kewell, much to his wife's amusement. Enjoy. Just before COVID, I was on a family holiday in Portugal and I saw Harry Kewell in the airport. Um, and I said to my wife, oh, that's Harry Kuehl. He used to play for Liverpool. I want to get a photo. And she went, oh, David, grow up and leave him alone. He's with his family. Um, but I still do it now. If I see someone that I have huge respect for, that I admire, then I'll ask him for a photo, no problem. Um, I met Sergio Garcia, had a chat with him for the Champions League final in Paris. Got a photo with him um, because I like my golf. Um so I've had I've had different occasions. It just depends. I think some I've handled well, some I haven't handled well. Um, certainly in my early days of playing football, when I would go home to Cork or whatever, and I'd be on a night out, people would want to chat to you, and you're kind of like, well, I'm coming home to see my friends, and they can kind of take it the wrong way. Um, it's it's a tricky situation. Yes, they kind of say, well, these people admire you, but at the same time you kind of just want your own peace and tranquility and to relax and go and watch something. I know the instance you're talking about with Roy at the American football where you know, somebody's come up to him and he's kind of said, leave me alone. But then again, he's he's gone all the way to London to watch the game. And it's kind of like, I'll do it when I have time or when you know there's a pause in game. I actually want to watch the game because usually it starts, if you do one, then everyone else wants to cut as well. So you end up doing 20 or 30. Um, but then again, it kind of, there's levels to your fame and I certainly wouldn't have had Ever in my life, the amount of people come up to me that Roy would 
It's uh, David Myler talking there um, about meeting Harry Kuehl and uh, Roy Keane at the American Football. Now, Alan Quillen is with us. Normally, that smile. Look at that smile. Yeah, we haven't seen that for a while. Munster oh. normally in the red. Not in the red at all. Yeah, well, Munster the, win, Liverpool win. The other reds, wow, yeah, he's, yeah. He's a happy Born man to, today. I've had a few miserable Sunday evenings the last few weeks. but um, You're back, baby. Yeah, my son's uh, rugby and soccer hadn't been going well either, so that was compounding the pain, but... Uh, his game, the opposition never showed up yesterday, so they had a training match back then for Liverpool. And the only thing blemished, uh, thing that was missing was Newcastle beating United <laughs> 1-0. That's just for my mates now, not for everybody online. I don't have any sympathy, really, when it comes to Dublin, uh, GA, rugby or soccer, and the team don't turn up and you have to have a training game. When I think back to being from Mayo and we'd get the bus up to Ackle. That's yeah, a different story. And the referee wouldn't turn up and they wouldn't play the game. Two and a half hours on the bus. Tough luck, lads. Off you go. Yeah, that's different, different scenario for sure. But um, the Banshees have finished Aaron. That's it. Um, where did the performance come from? Was it was it brewing? Was it the fact that the the young lads were back and suddenly they're not taking any of the nonsense? What happened? It's it's hard to put your finger on it. I think in in, in essence, the last few weeks. Um, uh, this is Munster we're talking about. Yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. Leinster winning in Galway on Friday night. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, I'm getting a few clips for talking about Munster too much and not talking talking the Connacht up a bit more from last week. But um, yeah, I think it, a little. Obviously, the emerging Ireland players come back. They bring a little bit of spark. I think, um, and I think you know sometimes you keep kind of uh, fighting and digging in and trying to fix things in training and stuff like that. We haven't seen the. You know the the proper level of emotion and kind of work rate and 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 intensity in the matches. And I think from the word go um, on Saturday night, I just thought there was a different, there was a bit of a spring in their step. Um, and obviously, being at home helps. You know what I mean. Um, and there's a fear factor with with playing the Bulls that um, if you're not physically right, so it was a test they needed, a physical test that they needed. And, uh, you know, they performed very well. I think there was mistakes and some... The line-out's a concern for me when they get into kind of crucial areas. And, and that was a big problem for Connacht and Galway on Friday night. Um, the emphasis on the set-piece. And we're seeing a lot a lot of teams now, Ger, right across the board, where, you know, three or four line-outs a game, you lose it, and it's kind of not really talked about. Um, it used to drive me absolutely demented if we if we didn't get close to... You know, to full full return on your lineouts. It's fixable though. The lineout is a kind of generally. It's yeah, a I think it is. I think um, in a sense with lineouts, I think it's more of an understanding from everybody. It isn't just as simple as you make a call and you call to the right area. It's everybody kind of seeing opportunities where the right place to throw the ball is before the call is made. If you understand, and um, it's just getting people more aware of that. Listen, the, the competitiveness of the opposition right across the board at all levels now, and in, in not just in the professional game in rugby, um, everybody's throwing players in the line out. They're a lot better at reading where where it goes, but um, they're just crucial areas that you need to get right. Yeah, okay. The team selection was interesting in that um, it it had a mix of the uh, the players who've been there the whole time, but it also got as many of the young players into the team as much as possible, and. Like that's, I think, what gives Munster fans most confidence that this isn't just a flash in the pan. That actually, this is these are a group of players who are going to be conditioned in the new way of of like being ball playing, of trying to take options, of of not falling back. So, 
a lot of people were saying Munster need to fall back on their defence ahead of this game and they need to go back to being Munster and it was like <clears throat> oh because if you go if you go back you, that that's a given trapped. anyway that's a given Joe <clears throat> with any team it's a basis for any team in any sport you want to be kind of solid you want to be cohesive defensively you want good communication and you want that kind of it's the same in any sport in GA in soccer and in, in hurling you need to have a little bit of an edge about you and you need to work together and, and defend when you have to. One of the hallmarks of, of, of any great team for me is when you don't have the ball, um, how you defend. And whatever sort of success we had in previous times at Munster, a lot of that was built on really just being so solid defensively against teams when they were even really, really um, exciting teams we played against. And I think that's, that's your foundation. Your set piece your breakdown and that physicality and organisation, defence, and any coach will tell you that. So that's something you've got to continuously work on. I thought the attack was so much better the other night. Some of the stuff we saw in the second half in particular, if that was the All Blacks or if it was uh, Toulouse, you'd be saying, whoa, that's brilliant. No, the, f- the end product wasn't there. And I thought Carberry was outstanding. And I think He was really good, wasn't he? Yeah, he was outstanding. And I think he's he was... He was just so active and so alive and so um, switched on, in a sense. When you look at him against Zebra a few weeks ago down in Cork, it was... Yeah. Was been put in at full-back, maybe a bit of a kick up the ass for him? Not really, I think, because I think... I'll say this again, Nathan. <laughs> I keep saying it a lot. If your forwards are not winning collisions, if they're not getting you a little bit of fun football, generating a bit of momentum, it's difficult for backs. Obviously, the basics of... You know, it's your point though that like by picking him full back, it's like you're not guaranteed to be well, that's, 10 that, here. Well, that actually, you know, if Ben Healy uh, continues to well. play well, yeah. we're just going to stick with him when it comes around to Champions Cup time. Or Jack Crowley, who came mm. on off the bench the night and looked, he looked really good. Yeah. yeah, he looked really good. Is he an option at centre? Um, yeah, definitely. Like, should they just play, pay, pay him now as a centre and get him in the team after that? It's a possibility because. Um, Look what Connacht did with Hawkshaw and 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 um, Jack Carty and Connor Fitzgerald having three three out halves. At least you know it gives you more options. Obviously, when you come up against a big twelve, who's going to be trying to run out over you? But I think Crowley is out of the three of them is probably the most physical. I think he's very very strong in contact. He's a big fella as well, and he's he's good defensively as well. So um, yeah, I think look, Carberry was really good, and I was pleased for him because um, you know you. You don't need this uncertainty to keep going. I think his animation and and his ability to read and scan, and we've spoken a lot about Johnny Sexton's big strength, about the ability when there's something going on here to look ahead and be able to play. And I think Carberry organised really well, but he had options. And I think, look, the attack is always going to take a little bit of time, Ger, and it probably will. And they could cut tumbling back down to earth on Saturday against against Leinster. But I think they've got to keep working on what they're doing and really make sure that um, they keep a high level of that fight that they brought the other night. You know, One of the things that they can really take out of the game is the way they defend it at the end. And there is no situation here where anyone's shouting from the rooftops, months are back, they're going to win every game for the rest of the season, they're going to be great. They still have a lot of work to do, but at least they have a little bit of foundation. And again, some people online saying, well, the Bulls are useless, the Bulls are useless. Oh, it was a template. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, the Bulls... Other useless teams... Were 28-0 up against Connacht a few weeks ago. They beat the Lions in the round one out the, the gate. Um, we saw what they did to Leinster last year. 
Um, they have a very, very strong side. Mentally, were they all all there? I thought it was a worse situation for Munster that Glasgow actually beat him the week before in 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 in, in, in Glasgow. I said that's you know they're not going to lose the two games. Jake White is going to hop off them all week, and he was very vocal in in challenging him. But I just thought Munster even with a lot of a, a lot of good teams right across the league would have struggled not with the quality entire quality package that they had the other night but did serious fight did serious work rate stuff that was missing and I think you asked me a few weeks ago Nathan about the fitness levels mm. that has been a problem so they haven't had ch- time to kind of do what they want to do and get the conditioning right they're probably getting a bit fitter the way they're training um, so again it's you know, it'd be brilliant for them if they could get somebody else but Leinster on Friday night and next Saturday. But, you know, nobody will expect them to beat Leinster, but they need a good performance. They need some positivity out of that game. What's uh, Adogbo's upper ceiling? His upper season, ceiling is... Uh, it's hard. I said a couple of years ago that Thomas Ahern was a potential British and Irish line, and some people kind of went, whoa... But I see stuff in him that, and we saw him coming off the bench the other night, Thomas Ahern. I think what he did in South Africa, um, I know you have to be careful with talking about it. It isn't international rugby and there's the opposition and all that. But I think he has that potential. I think he needs to get run of games, a bit a bit of steeliness about him, if you like, for Thomas Ahern. I think Odogbo, from what I've seen, um, the power... you. It's hard to kind of buy that power and get Irish players with that explosiveness. Um, he's only a kid. He's going to get much stronger. Yeah, he's six foot seven, hundred and twenty kilos, or or something like that. And he's explosive. So we've seen a lot of second rows come into the teams early and then suffer badly with injuries for a long period of time. So you just want to make sure that they manage that progression into the team. Yeah, and I think he needs well to work with coaches can. and stuff. And, and um, you know, obviously he'll come onto the radar of of the Irish selectors now and someone like Paul O'Connell kind of reviewing his game or, yeah. you know, Graham Rowntree, Andy Kiriakou. I think the key for a lot of these players is, is it's not about managing them all the time and saying, oh God, we take him out of this game, take him out of that game. I think it's just managing their understanding in a game and they get better and um, they get stronger and fitter as well. So I think a dog with ceiling is, is very high. Uh, Tag Byrne in the back row, is that is that the future? Like, well, it, or, or is well, there... Well, if R.G. Snyman is available, um, I'm playing John Klein and R.G. Snyman in the second row. Right. And I'm putting Tag Byrne in the back row because you don't have the front row that Leinster have or some of the other teams have. The power, the explosiveness, the experience, the international quality. So... You try and pick a bigger pack, and if you've two big second rows, powerful second rows, that's adding a little bit of weight and support to them. And Bourne can play in the back row. Brilliant. Assuming everybody's fit, and that's a big assumption for next week. Pick the back five for me against Leinster. Assuming everybody, including Simon, not Simon, not Simon. Sorry, okay. don't think Simon's going to be back. Um, but it, like a dog will look like he picked up a knock at one point, and then I'm sure, he, hopefully, he's fine. But let's say Klein, Dogbo, Hearn, Tygburn, Jack O'Donoghue, Omani, and I'd probably pick uh, Thomas Ahern and, and John Klein right. and Byrne, O'Mahony and Coombs in the back row. Okay. That'd be interesting. Um, I just think, you know, this is, yeah. even though we say managing the situation, I think maybe have a dog book coming off the bench um, because the, the, the danger here at 19 and, and he probably hasn't been 
that conditioning piece needs to work for him a bit keeping him involved and in and out of the, the, the kind of group and close to it has to happen um, just because he's in the academy we shouldn't assume now that he should slip back down because there's a few more second rows involved and the same with Ruan Quinn he's only 18 um, serious potential but you know again there has to be you have to be a bit careful with these younger players but it gives a bit more positivity doesn't it when you have some of the younger players still major issues you know where's the hysteria Quinny where's the hysteria of recent weeks that's what Peter O'Mahony has been saying it's all hysteria no it hasn't no matter what what happens going forward um, and they're going to have more problems they're going to lose more games um, the start has been badly managed I think the pre-season has been badly managed the emerging Ireland stuff hasn't helped them They've been the one group that... But I did say that sometimes these players, if the players come back better players and more understanding of, of what they need to do and their roles, well then maybe it'll benefit long term. They also all came back feeling themselves going, we've just come back from this amazing trip where everything's gone really well, we've got to work with the Ireland coaches and they come back into this very negative environment but they must have been like, well we're not negative, life's good for us. So that's like, you very rarely get a chance in the middle of a season when things are going badly to get an injection of enthusiasm, positivity and talent. Well they needed that because they played 41 players in the first three games which is a fair bit of chopping and changing and the pre-season was, was a lot of that as well so yeah they're better than what, what we, they've shown in the games they've lost um, so that that's something to be positive about and, and but you know they need a little bit of luck with the injuries Calvin Nash someone who, who did really well in the emerging tour as well and there's, there's something about him um, Who's the first choice scrum half at the moment? Uh, I think Craig Casey It is isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Does that impact on Murray for Ireland? Um, it could do, yeah. I think if maybe Conor Murray is only a couple of um, a couple of games into his season as well, so I don't think it'll it'll kind of rule him out a little bit. I think, uh, particularly with the game Munster trying to play at the moment, I, I think he'll still be in the Irish squad, Conor Murray, and if he gets some more game time and shows. Uh, gets um, up to speed a little bit more. I think he'll be on. Yeah, he will be on the bench for South Africa. He has that that experience and still has that quality. So, yeah. but Casey's putting a bit of pressure there. Um, it's funny. Big pressure. Casey might be a potential replacement to start, but you can see having Murray's experience as a closer is something that they're they're going to rate very highly. Um, what about Connick's performance? Because uh, they were in the they were in the red in the power rankings a little bit earlier on. Even though I said they might have even covered the spread, so I'm not sure. Um, Wait, were Con- was Connick's performance bad and disappointing on the wake no, of it was, what happened last it was, week? Um, I think the start of the game, it looked like Leinster, um, Leinster were going to kind of control the tempo and pace of the game. And, you know, they got an early try. I think John Porsche gave away a penalty to break down. Leinster kicked it downfield, scored from it. Um, I think they held on and defended really well at times. Uh, but the big issue for them is is just being a bit more clinical when they get into the attacking zones. And even though Leinster and they have the luxury of doing that, they can have four or five internationals or whatever um, off the team and have a little bit of rotation, but still right across the board. I thought Ringrose and Van der Fleer they showed their class when they critical moments, you know. Um, I thought Connacht missed opportunities and they had moments in the game where they had penalties close to the line. They nearly got there. 
but they turned the ball over pretty quickly. And you could say, look, that's really good Leinster defence, but I think some of it was self-inflicted, and that's the thing that will frustrate him the most in the game, that um, they had real opportunities to build sustained pressure in, in attacking zones, and they didn't. They lost line-outs, they turned the ball over, they knocked it on, um, gave away some penalties again. But what they've shown the last two weeks is similar to Munster they had their big kind of lift against Munster maybe that Munster had against the Bulls they were all, it was always going to be really difficult with Leinster um, yeah. and it is for everybody <clears throat> it's ironic scheduling uh, is exactly the same yeah Munster, it is yeah, yeah. so um, to lose 10-0 against Leinster and be really frustrated that you had opportunities you created opportunities uh, and you were in really good positions is something to build on so I thought the desire, the aggression, the intensity that they brought is what they need because they're not as powerful and, and, and don't have the same quality as, as Leinster. So I thought that, yeah, they were outstanding. And probably a little bit naively, they tried to move the ball to the wider channels a lot. Um, and I said this, I was doing the game, uh, doing the, game the other night, they probably should have tried to, you know, get their back row going up the middle of the pitch a little bit. And a couple of times Paul Boyle did that and he was very good. Um, so, look, it was difficult. The conditions were really difficult, but uh, missed never, opportunities. Never aimed to go away. He's very quiet. He's not saying anything. No. Uh, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I was just, it, was, it was frustrating. The conditions were horrendous. Uh, you say, it, because it's Leinster, you just know so often when they got into those dangerous areas that unbelievably Leinster were going to for take Connacht composed. is to beat the Scarlets on Friday night. Yeah. And then that three-week block looks good. Yeah. You've beaten Lentz, you've beaten Munster. Should have been a losing bonus point. Carthy looks like a man putting himself under enormous pressure. I know, like, the kick he's at the end. He's panicking a little bit. There's a bit of, I need a big play and a big to, match yeah. like this to and get myself back in with Ireland. Sorry, two games. I think the Ireland thing's probably gone, I have to say. I think, um, but we'll see. we got to go, but we can talk more. We'll definitely do more on Ulster. Um, yeah, they were outstanding. On Friday, like, um, outstanding in, 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 there, in South there. Africa. Really brilliant. Balakoon, Stuart McCluskey, Michael Lowry. Real talent and scoring a lot of tries. Yeah, conceding a few, but yeah, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to see them they all playing for Ireland on in, Saturday in one of the November internationals. Maybe the Australia game. Let's see. Let's see every, what that every tier time I like. see Stuart McCluskey, I think, God, he's going to regret. It's it's he's really unlucky when when you think of the centres of Henshaw, Ringrose, Aki. Yeah, yeah. but maybe um, now it's time. Like Bundy's not going to be around for the November, or is he yeah. back? Uh, no, he's no. not. He's gone. Um, McCluskey's just outstanding the last few weeks. Right. we got to go. Quinny, good stuff. Thanks a million Cheers, for that. Guys. Now, a reminder that uh, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball. Every week we give one lucky viewer a €100 Euro voucher to spend on some Braeburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, just check out at Off the Ball on Twitter. Like and retweet our Braeburn competition post and you'll be in the draw. Braeburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go experience on the road. Coffee experience on the road, sorry. That's available at Apple Green today. Now, the Chrysler Community Support Fund has been established by the Irish Red Cross. It's in collaboration with OnPost and Apple Green to provide rapid and long-term assistance to the Chrysler community. All donations to this fund will be dedicated to the support of those who've been bereaved, injured, made homeless or left without an income as a result of the tragedy. In the days and weeks ahead, the Irish Red Cross will work with the community of Chrysler to ensure that all contributions will be used effectively and as needed to assist those affected by this incident. Please donate to the Chrysler Community Support Fund. Uh, 13 minutes past nine, I'll tell you what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio for the rest of the day.
Uh, OTB Gold is a golf weekly inside Park Harrington's gaff. Splunk is at three o'clock. Our Culture Hall of Fame is The Wire at four. And OTB Gold is our Lance Armstrong interview. We're going to take a quick break. We're back after these talking with uh, Paul Galvin about his new book, Threads. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. OTB Sports Rugby. Hit Connacht last season, going to hit them again this season. They are in the tougher section. Munster could conceivably finish eighth, but miss out on Champions Cup. I think it is progressively getting more and more difficult to qualify for the Champions Cup. You certainly can't take it as red, and you certainly can't take it as red when you make a start like Munster. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Whatever you grow, we'll save a bro. Right, I'm delighted to say Paul Galvin is with us in studio. It's to help launch his new book. It's called Threads, Clothes and the Irishman, A Woven History. Paul, you're very welcome. Thanks, sure. Having a, a book, I haven't had one yet, but I imagine it's a bit like having a baby. You send it out into the world and you go, I hope this really works. Uh, how, wh- what's it like, giving birth to a book? Yeah, it's a bit like you described there, actually. Yeah. There's a, it's a tough book, actually. It was a tough book to write. And uh, it's a bit of... Uh, what you call it there's a bit of vulnerability to it actually put, putting it out there you never know well specifically this one I imagine because like this is revealing the ideas behind the uh, collections that you've had all the way back right so you're explaining what your thought process was did you write a contemporary like at the time when you were doing your collections you're like I'm going to write a chapter now or did you have to go back and revisit what you were doing for the last 15 years yeah um, well actually what I did was I at the beginning I just treated it as a writing project. Right. So, therefore, I went in with a complete research, writing, storytelling uh, approach to to design, and I figured I would treat each season like a chapter, and at the end, I'd have a book, and the, and, the, and that's the book. So, I always intended to write a book from the start. Okay, right. Um, the other thing about that is that, obviously, your writing skills change. You hone uh, what you think is good. You develop as a writer and a thinker. Did you go back and read the stuff that you wrote and go, that's really good? Or were you like, oh, I need to change that? Oh, yeah, very, very much so, Ger. I, I think it was actually due last year. Right. And it just wasn't ready, you know. And I looked at the later chapters, and they were better than the earlier chapters. Okay. And oh, I thought, no, no. That's kind of crushing in a way, though. It's like, it was, it yeah. was. I read back and I thought, oh, no, oh, no. And it was just circumstances, and you had uh, t- time. Just it had it had kind of grown towards the end. So when I look back at the start, I was like, no, no, not good, not good enough. I follow a lot of writers on Twitter, and um, the the thing that gives them community or a sense of community because it's such a, a um, an individualistic pursuit is the misery that they talk about, and that they kind of kind of like it's like sweating over every single word. So you're never finished until it's it's gone, and then you're like, and then you find a mistake. Um, but now it's done. You you've got to let go, right? There's a bit of therapy in this. E- yeah, not it's not easy to even let go. Then at the end, you know what I mean. You're still looking at it there, and I'm, I was looking at it there on the day I got it, and I was like, hmm. there was a particular word, embroiderer, that I didn't use that I meant to use. Right. And uh, and. Um, uh, that was, uh, you know, so anyway, sure, look, that's that's the nature of it. I wouldn't claim now to be the most experienced writer either, do you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I think Tim Hooks certainly not the best, the best one either, so, you know, I I, uh, I would I would defer now to greater writers and there's a lot of very, very good Irish writers, actually, and sports writers. I think we're blessed with really great, some really great sports writers in, in, in Ireland in, in the sports media. And... You know, I would often drop Michael Foley a line now, for instance, Sunday Times. Not often, I should say, but now and again, he's a guy 
who has, um, from the point of view of grammar and punctuation and just uh, structure and all that, uh, I think Italian, Paul Howard, another one like Paul. Paul's a great writer. I used to really enjoy Paul's work. Yeah. And, he needs um, to write more sports, though. It's funny. Yeah, Roddy will come back in. I wouldn't disagree with you. I wouldn't disagree with you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And um, the Examiner do some good stuff, I think, as well. And 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 have have some good writers. Do you know, I think Colin Sheridan's a good. Yeah, really Colin interesting take on life. A good, good writer. Yeah. Uh, Eamon Fitzmaurice, my brother-in-law, does some good stuff. So. A lot, a lot of, I stopped naming names because I'll, I'll, I'll upset somebody that, write, that I don't uh, mention. Would you when you were playing? Uh, I, I, I was an interest at all. Was like, you know, this is just really a product of my interest, really, in terms of what I've been doing for the last 10 or 12 years. So I would write, I would have read definitely bits and pieces. I would have, I would have not read them for a long time, really. I wouldn't have not engaged. But then my interests are, you know, you know what I mean? Good writers are good writers. You want to Keith Duggan, another guy. I talk Keith Duggan. I think Keith Duggan is, is a great writer. Uh, so Malachy, another good one. So I would have tuned in from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Especially if the piece is a good piece, like it doesn't matter. I never had an issue if a person was writing about me. If a person ask, wrote about me and it was how do you not good not, or whatever? How do you how do you train yourself not to? Well, I, I never had a major problem if if a, if a guy wrote a piece and it was true. I'd say it's true, but he's right. I never had an issue with that. I, I, I felt if a guy wrote something that wasn't true or wasn't fair or wasn't balanced, I, I, I often would have picked up the phone now. I would have picked would up you? the okay, phone. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. um, like we've, we've had people complain about stuff that we've said over the years, and it's like it's afterwards you go, okay, it's hard to find a balance because we don't, we don't know you, you know? Like we, you're, you're involved in an incident, or player X, X is involved in an incident, and people draw conclusions on the basis of that incident. But that's one flashpoint in like uh, life's body of work it's very difficult for anybody outside the dressing room or your teammates or people who've known you for a long period of time to really know you so it, you know I true 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 like you know I'd say you were ringing a lot of people were you <laughs> <laughs> no no not by any means my god not by any means but there was a couple of conversations now like there was a couple of you know where I wouldn't have been happy, and I told the person, and yeah, I yeah. wouldn't have wouldn't have held back at all. But then I was always, I would have only done that if I felt I had a strong point and a, and a, and a reasonable point. I, when I was out of order, and it was, I would never challenge it at all. If anybody from the Kerry team or the Dublin team or whoever was sitting down with you now having a coffee, and they asked you about your approach to media, what would what would you say to them? Right now, today. Yeah, would you give them? Would you tell them to do what you did and read the bits, or would you advise them for the short period of time that they're? You have your window, just ignore it. What What's the right? I mean, it's obviously case by case. Mm, I, I don't know. Like, I think for the best, for the most part, your best to to, to re- be really economical about taking stuff in and reading stuff. I think, like, yeah. to to avoid it. Like, you know what I mean? I I when I say I read bits now, that wouldn't have been very regular. But I might have had to have. I might have had to have read it. Why did you have to read it? In general, I would have read stuff out of interest. It mightn't have been about me. I would have read guys' work, like, you know what I mean? Because it was good work. Yeah. If someone wrote something on me, and even if it wasn't the most positive, if it was a good piece of writing, I'd, I'd still go, it's a great piece of writing, though. Um, so I just admire writers and that, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, I don't think that, I don't, I don't know the policy regards players, like, you know, you just have to, t- you have to be very. You have to be removed from it, like you know what I mean. I wouldn't like to see a guy now regularly dipping in, like 
I just I don't I don't think that's a great habit, but I don't think you need to be running away from it either. Can you ever think back to a, a piece that was very complimentary to you? Like when you think back to being footballer of the year, like all those writers you're talking about would have written their pieces at the end of the year that would have actually uh, been very generous in their praise yeah. that, that stood out and you go, geez, that was a that that's a nice thing yeah. for people to think about you. Yeah, yeah. I do. I remember I remember some and I remember the writers of course, yeah. Yeah. So uh did it have a positive impact? Because it, it's interesting, um Brian O'Driscoll talks about meeting Andy McNulty and being at a very low point in his career and they work together and he goes on to have great seasons but one of the things he would make him do is watch videos himself doing really well and it was like just a reminder you know there's greatness here if I if I channel it right and if I if I focus did the positive stuff could you use that in a way yeah yeah I feel you know it, feel, it feels good and uh, I, 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 it always felt good now my approach is always the good and the bad you kind of got to you got to like you you know my approach was always leave both leave both slide you know where possible but you know positive stuff is, is positive stuff and you you, you know you, you accept it and, and, and use it where you can I, I um I think I think that's it's silly not to yeah it's funny isn't it because it's like oh don't don't get too big headed but actually you need a little bit of something to help you go and to go oh, listen, no, yeah. if it's good take it absolutely take it and and, ca- and carry it with you. Can I ask you about the the book and the circle between writing the book and the story and the design and the finished product and how you go from like to so many different chapters and stories and say Patrick O'Connell, who people will be aware of, the man who saved Barcelona, and how you go from being interested and fascinated by his story to that ending up in a piece of clothing or something that you can you have a vision for. How how does that happen? It's uh, a good question. Uh, Print would be one way. Print, and probably colour then would be another way. Like you know what I mean? You try and take the colours of Barca, for instance. That's one way to try and maybe interpret the blaugrana of Barca. Was one of the kind of how do you go from Patrick Connell to putting it into the product? The blaugrana of of Barca's colours that was in the that was in that Mister collection. And there's print would be another way then that you can tell a story kind of without writing or saying or speaking. Print is a language as well, and there been low, every season there would be a print. Uh, I think for that one we might have used a little interpretation of the new camp. Um, Bogman we used Pete Briquettes. Was an architect called Tom Depere who, who created this piece of famous in architecture circles famous pavilion called N cubed out of. He was 40,000 peat briquettes at the Venice Biennale. So that, I'm from the bog. That story stayed with me. Uh, so we used peat briquettes one time. I mean, everybody everybody can roof, everybody can relate to a peat briquette, I think. Like, you know what it's I mean? Now, yeah. You know? Uh, I would have seen Slightly back in. Sore fingers from. Yeah, no, you know, and maybe maybe you'd see one broken off a. You know what I mean? They were they were weapons, like, they were they were hard. They were hard hard edged. But I, I, print was a thing from the before I started out in the in the industry. Before I started working with Duns, I would have observed a lot of retailers and men's clothing and men's brands like Levi's and O'Neill's and Mitre and Kappa and Clark's, New Balance. The New Balance factory was in Tralee. You know, my my godmother worked in the New Balance factory. They made a lot of their shoes in Tralee in the in the eighties and nineties. Right. Uh, so the brands and then. I remember going into UK retailers based in Ireland and looking at 
what was on the shelves before I started in the industry and print was a thing that jumped out you know I'd look at a lot of print and it would be pelicans and bananas and flowers and do you know what I mean I, I would say why 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 a pelican <laughs> why why you know what I mean why 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 don't what print can mean a lot like you know what I mean so I would say print is a great way to create meaning you can do it for clubs and counties you can do it for the guy in the street I think you've got to give you've got to make product mean something especially in a country like Ireland where there's so much cultural um, richness you know so you take something like Luke Kelly you take a man like Luke Kelly Ronnie Drew you know they wore a lot of stuff that you can did a collection on Luke Kelly he, he, he had a, a banjo and there was a lot of there was a piece of print on his banjo that we put into shirts so that's sorry a long winded answer Nathan but that's kind of how it might transfer it's um, a very broad church of, of influence that you're trying to distill down to something that then ends up on the shelves. It's um, basically trying to put everything you know. And uh, how do you eliminate stuff that's not relevant then? You must have too many ideas sometimes. Uh, great. Is that, is, that the, is that the benefit of having the chapters in that, like, you actually get to... If, that, if something doesn't fit a chapter, you can keep it for another yeah. one. Yeah, it's a good, there's a good deal of editing. I, it's very like publishing, I think, the design, the design stuff with Duns or whatever I'm doing. Very like publishing. I always thought I always thought as publishing. So th- th- therefore, there's a good degree of editing as well. Then, and you would say no, or yeah, next. So I would have. I had a lot of those in my head anyway. I knew for years ahead. So I thought that won't work there, but this will be the next one that will work there, and I could see it all for what, a couple of years. So, so, and then you have good teams: buyers, design team, buying team, marketing team, shareholders meetings. And a good deal of editing will happen there as well. So it's not just me, like by any means, you know. Yeah, but you end up carrying the can. It's your name over the the top of it, for sure, for sure. How do you you talk about like uh, you know shareholders meetings and all that? Like that's the there's, that's the non arty side of it. How do you get that balance between like this is your living? You need to earn a living from it while sort of remaining true to yourself, and that it's not this vampire sucking all the creativity out of you just to make a few quid. Yeah, that's that's where you defer to people with knowledge and experience, and you 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 know what I mean. Uh, I don't I don't go into meetings and I I, I I don't bluff anybody. You know you 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 listen well, and there's always a balance between. I always was conscious of the balance between the storytelling and trying to say something with a piece of print and the commercial aspect where. There are strong sellers in the brand that might be more, uh, you know, we'll say basic pieces or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? They're they're the business and the brand, really. You know what I mean? And so you just you just you just watch you just watch what's going on. You see how things perform, and you keep an eye on keep an eye on performance. Basically, it's no different to keeping an eye on a team's performance. You keep an eye on performance, and you see what's working and what's not working. Yeah, yeah. I, I like obviously that means you can continue and have longevity so there's there's that balance to be struck um, now that the book is finished what's next is there another like you know that's a good question um, do you get to enjoy it for a while like, uh, I just asked that question only last night um, I don't uh, no I do um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know I don't know I just I tend to move on pretty quickly you know to the, ne- to the next thing and I'm really focused now on this this stuff and making sure it does do 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 justice, and because people writing is a, is a selfish thing, you know, it's a, or it's an individual thing, you know. You've got to go. You need your headspace. 
you can't do it without peace and quiet I wrote a lot of this in my car over lockdown honestly I wrote about 50,000 words of that in the car right yeah uh, because no, really there was nowhere else to go and I, I have a nice car and I was like it's actually a good space for me and, and, and I was able to write and, and but then people around you then you know I mean you might be gone for hours and I would be gone for hours so you got to make sure now that you do it justice and you, you give it its give it its time so that's really my focus at the minute and then uh, yeah what about getting involved at high level Gaelic football again is that part of the agenda in the near future uh, yeah like I uh, absolutely high in my in terms of my interests and in terms of what I what I love and what I enjoy it definitely is uh something that you know I'm, I'm, I'm I, I think about a lot and I'm 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 I do I, I do intend to and I do want to soon you know wh- wh- where where and when exactly I, I don't know I was interested to like the the intercounty management experience and the coaching experience are very different things right uh, is there a part of you that would prefer to be a coach next time or now that haven't had the managerial experience like understand exactly what the pitfalls are, understand exactly what the terms of engagement need to be with the various stakeholders. You know, it's not very similar to business. Like, I'd say it's almost exactly the same. So which would you prefer now? Would you you rather use that experience or rather never have that experience again or not in the short term? Um, I I, I wouldn't be away. I wouldn't be... um, I really, I really love the coaching part. Really love it. Uh, certainly, there's aspects of the management part I can I could take or leave. I think most managers would say that uh, there is a lot, there's a lot of uh, c- communications and phone calls and emails and that part, management part. You know what I mean? You wanna you wanna you wanna love that. You wanna be you wanna be able for that and 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 and, and okay with okay with that do you know what I mean and have time have time for that I should say yeah like yeah. Nathan used the word vampire about creativity I'd say that is the part of intercounty management that most managers uh, a year in are like oh my god all I want to do is get this team to play this this way get that lad to play that way and we're going to be very successful but instead and like, well it's Stuart Lancaster uh, from England to Leinster from yeah, being the administrator to the guy yeah. boots on the ground yeah good experience like you know what I mean I think look at I mean it, it's the way to probably do it anyway do you know what I mean you look at Ron and Ron Nogara what, what he has done he, I think he his career is, is, is one I, I really admire you know he's he has put in his time at, at, at a coaching level and now he's there at a management level and he's probably doing as much coaching anyway but I remember I remember a manager an inter-county manager a number of years ago saying just delegate that stuff you know you get, you, yeah, there's someone for that job you know what I mean and uh, the thing I, is I'm not sure there is for everybody right if you're if you're the physio and you need to talk to the manager about a player and the manager has delegated that to a third party you're well, not going to uh, be a very happy physio no, I wouldn't include the physio part definitely not but I would say up, up, managing upwards maybe the um, you know the logistics, the logistical stuff. Definitely, yeah. The fixtures, the, yeah. the <clears throat> where they need to be, what time, yeah, all yeah. That, all that stuff. I think, yeah. yeah. And um, so, I don't know, Jar. I really don't know at the moment. Only that, um, kind of based more between Dublin and Kerry now, and my my home and my 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 home clubs and Kerry and family have been a big priority for me this year. And we'll continue to be. We're based back in Dublin, so we're between the two. You know what I mean. So, um, what what ha- I don't know what happens next. 
I don't really know. We will see. There was lots of, uh, you know, like you, you can't you can't keep saying no either. You know what I mean? There comes a time where you got to say, right, you got to move on. You got to keep practicing. It's a practice. Yeah, it's a total practice, and I'm, and I and I and I, and I like I like to practice. It'd be more intercounty than club, though. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. The club games. The club games. Exciting, actually. I've seen a lot. A lot of club football in Kerry, in Dublin. Seen a seen a bit in Mayo, and um, so I don't. I don't know really. Okay. Yeah, right. I don't know. Okay. So watch this space, basically. That's. Um uh, yeah, I think it's a bit of that. I think it's a bit of that. You know, there are a couple of there's been other priorities, and 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 probably to an extent there still is a priority now in terms of this stuff. And then, and then I don't know what will happen next. Does the split season make it a bit more alluring in that actually you could manage it? Like it's very intense for eight months, but actually there's a period of the year where it's less intense, where it's going to matches, and you don't actually have that much. Extra I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think, I I think it's a positive. I think it's a generational thing. I think my 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 father's generation are not so, and not him specifically, but some of his friends were speaking to them recently, and they were. No, they want to go back to the to the traditional calendar. Uh, I'm 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 okay with the I'm okay with the calendar. I I think it's I think it's been enjoyable. The players are really enjoying it. I, mean, I think that's the big one. I think if you played in it, you'd be like, "This, we're never going back, lads." I think so, yeah. and I think and I think that that'll hold. You know, maybe a week or two weeks or whatever it might be it might go back a little bit. Yeah. In the month, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, the two weeks is, is going to be. It's the, overall, I think overall, been good. You know. One last thing then about the the evolution of the game. This Kerry team have um, an abundance of talent, and obviously some of the most exciting young forwards in the country. Uh, what's their ceiling? Should like what what should their definition of greatness be? Should it be should it be defined by uh, Kerry's history and tradition? Should it be defined by their own incredible underage records? Um, should it be defined by the dubs? Like what what's when we're talking about them now? We, we, maybe maybe this is wrong we shouldn't have an, an architecture to talk to them it's like it's their journey and it takes them wherever it takes them but um, what do you think? I think they're really talented uh, they're in a good position Jack has been exceptional uh, you talk about def- defining and what should their Dublin Dublin haven't redefined the game but they've redefined winning and and I think you know that has to be a a kind of a what would you say a, ref, a reference or a, an inspiration I think what Dublin did was highly hugely inspiring I really do and and I think if you were a player today I just think God I, w- I would be on a high I would be saying wow look six yeah. I didn't even realise you know my, my wife recently informed me it was six <laughs> And she's not a football woman, no. Really, well, that's because she's from Mayo. Trust you me, know? we know exactly how many it was. I, for whatever reason, had forgotten. I, I, I thought it was five. Yeah. And I thought, wow, what the, an achievement! The COVID one, no one counts. If I was a player uh, right now in Kerry, I'd be very excited. I'd be very excited because of what they've got, uh, because of Jack, and because of what just happened. I'd be saying, I'd be saying, you've got to be inspired by I, I went in back in 04 whenever 03 and I had seen what Armagh did what Tyrone did what Meath had done uh, to the game they took the game apart like you know what I mean they just really they, it's like they took the game apart and put it back together and I watched all that at close quarters and I thought if I get a chance here I'm going to I'm going to go for this big time because the, the, the rules were rewritten in a way yeah. by those teams and I think Dublin have rewritten the rules of winning so 
I'd say you'd write a chapter on David Clifford, no problem, for the next book. Yeah, well, well just very proud of him, very proud he's a Kerry, he's a Kerry player. Uh, give, give, gives us gives us empathy, I have to say. I mean, I'm, I'm just as good, honestly. I think the guy's, I think the guy's a really exceptional player. But yeah, pr- proud of him, and and uh, fantastic to watch, fantastic to listen to as well. Yeah, good fella. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and um, like that, it seems to be enjoying watching the success and leaning into like being good and leading into being great as opposed to like ah you know there's no there's no arm's length from his own talent which is very rare and um, very endearing as well don't the- bear the lead Jer. don't bear the lead Friday night Colin Farrell oh yeah <laughs> were you out in the town do you know what Brendan Gleeson I wasn't and I, I, I missed the trick there wow, they, were, they were just absolutely really I was just so impressed with them in terms of their class and their graciousness and do you know what I mean just uh you know, asking questions that, asking smart questions out of kind of manners, like you know what I mean. Uh, I was just really, really impressed with the two of them. Now, Brendan, Brendan is a football man. He knows his is GA. He? Yeah, he okay. is. And Colin, Colin did too. Colin right. did too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I, w- I was, I, I think they do Ireland a great service, both of them. Do you know, immediately you could see their inte- their intellect as actors. You could see it come through in a quick conversation, very sharp asking great questions out of kind of interest and manners and I thought just do Irish men a, gr- a great service yeah they seem uh, like they're living their best lives in the way you would want people to represent you like yeah yeah yeah. no phenomenal bunch Threads Clothes and the Irishman A Woven History by Paul Galvin is in bookshops right now but well, I wish you the very best of success with it appreciate it lads thanks for having me uh, OTBM live every morning in association with Gillette in association with Movember effort to shave magnificent mo you can sign up or donate now at movember.com we're back tomorrow with Shane uh, Jack McGrath is going to be in with us more in the Premier League and plenty more besides OTBAM with Gillette in association with Movember whatever you grow will save a bro